All right, welcome everybody. Welcome to SitRep 2020. If you guys are watching, you are part of the resistance. Got my uh, my co-host Ian Chadrick and myself, and we have a special guest tonight, Rob Skiba. So yeah. we're <laughs> we like super to excited to have Rob with us, man. We uh, he's a he's an icon for sure, dude. And I, I was listening to. Um, a lot of your uh, the old old interviews from 2010 and stuff that are up there on pe random sites, but listen to the Archon Invasion and some other stuff like some earlier seed stuff. And I was just like, I mean, I heard you mention a comment that you were like a you're a researcher, so you get to research what everybody else has already done, and that's kind of what's so cool about Aaron and I is we get to do that on top of your work. So you know. You guys that came before us, you paved a, a, a huge path for us to to walk across, and and lots and lots of information. You know the David Flynns and the the Skibas and the Gilberts and all of these guys. Super yeah, cool. it is cool. You know, um, uh, La Marzuli at once he had said that we're standing on the shoulders of giants, and he meant that in two different ways. <laughs> you know, we're we're. Yeah. You know, we're walking on the, the, the bones of the giants that were judged in the flood, but there are people who have gone before us that paved the way um, through research, you know, going back to like G.H. Pember is probably sort of the, the great, great godfather of uh, of many of the people in this research community. It talks about Nephilim and stuff like that. And it was like uh, uh, Dr. I.D. Thomas built upon the work of Pember and Thomas was like the inspiration for a lot of the guys. Uh, uh, certainly L.A. Marzulli, he was like a mentor to him. Uh, I believe he was for uh, Steve Quayle and Tom Horn as well. Uh, and of course, David Flynn comes along later. And, you know, I came in probably just before David Flynn died. And so, you know, I'm researching what they had searched and they're researching what Thomas searched and what Pember searched and, you know, going all the way back. And, you know, it's cool is everybody brings something to the table. You know, they, God has prepared us all in different ways. We've all had different life journeys. We've all studied different things. And so we approach the same topic, but from different angles and, you know, if people can put their egos aside, then we can all benefit from the collective, you know, knowledge of people bringing what they have to the table. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I just, I remember watching you back on, let's see, what was it? Uh, what was the name of that, that show? I just said it just a minute ago and it just, it just lost me. Uh, uh, Prophecy, Club. Prophecy Club. Yeah. Prophecy, Prophecy Club. Club. <laughs> Way back Prophecy. in the day. But yeah, yeah I mean, watching your stuff and following um, your progression through the Nephilim and, and the Babylon. And I mean, Like to me, that that unlocked a lot of keys that really got me at that point. God was really working on me and bringing me back, you know, because I was raised a Christian and then I was kind of living, you know, world my way. But it was those those pivotal, you know, moments and things that really unlocked a guy. Nice. Oh, <laughs> it changed my whole perspective. The Nephilim thing changed my whole perspective of of. Uh, the old Testament and, and it changed the way I looked at it and, and just made it, it brought it to life. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was the same for me. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I have it readily available, but you know, when I was probably in my late teens, early twenties, I had a hard time with the old Testament, man. Like, you know, I grew up in a King James only new Testament, Bible believing Baptist church, independent, fundamental Baptist church at that. 
uh, you know, uh, and you know, we did our one year Bible plans and stuff like that. And man, it was like, you, you get just so far in, you know, the first five books and like, God's like, kill the women, kill the children, kill everything, wipe out the animals. You know, <laughs> you're like, and then you're reading the new Testament and Jesus is like, you know, love your neighbor. And you know, this, that, and the other thing It's like, you have this like good cop, bad cop scenario going on in your head. And you're like, you know, Jesus tells Philip, you know, if you see me, you see my father. I'm like, that just does not compute in my head, you know, because it was like Jesus is loving everybody. He doesn't judge anybody, it seems like, except for like the religious people. And, you know, he's hanging out, publicans and sinners, healing the sick, like this amazing loving guy. And there's dad like killing everything. You know, <laughs> I'm going, I don't get it, man. And I, I created this notebook because uh, I'd done several one year Bible plans. Um, and I said, okay, next time I go through in a year, when I go through it, I'm just going to take this notebook and write down every question that comes to my head, but I'm not going to answer them. I'm just going to ask the question. And then the second year, when I go back to restart the Bible plan, the one year, you know, read the Bible through in a year, I'm going to try to answer the questions that I had. And man, I just could, I was like stuck. I couldn't get past any of that, you know, old Testament God stuff, you know, uh, until the Genesis six key was given to me you know it's like you know i heard steve quayle once say the understanding of genesis 6 is the rosetta stone for unlocking all of scripture and history and you know it seems like a grandiose statement to make until you realize yeah that's actually true you know all of a sudden so many things in history start to make sense and definitely a lot of things in the bible make sense especially what uh, god the father's doing you know uh throughout the old testament so you know, once I got a hold of that, once I understood it, I was like, okay, this is my passion in life. I'm going to, because there are a lot of other people that I know that struggle with the same thing, both Christian and otherwise. Um, you know, I've, I've been in the military. I've been in various organizations and things where I'm surrounded by unbelievers and atheists. And one of their big objections is, you know, the, well, look at the God of the Old Testament. Now I have an answer for that, you know. And what I found was it was an enormous uh, uh, beneficial tool to have in my tool belt when witnessing the people, because when you can break down those arguments that, that they have, you know, what they don't understand and you could give them the answer to it, all of a sudden, you know, you see the light bulb go off and they're like, Oh, okay. I get that. You know? So yeah, that was a pretty huge thing for me. Yeah. You're for sure. Right. About the Rosetta stone. And I actually got into all this stuff too. Um, I had always been into the research on the, uh, you know, the inner, the inner earth, the hollow earth stuff and the Nazis and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that they didn't actually lose the war and all this technology that we had acquired from them uh, was out in Antarctica. And then I came across Steve Quayle and yeah, it, and then like, you know, hearing the Genesis six narrative and all that, I was blown away by it. I'm like, what, why is no one talking about this? You know, like in church, you know, mm -hmm. as you'd think, it would be just as exciting for all of them when they hear it, but it wasn't. And, you know, even my parents are like, okay, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's not a big deal. I heard it and I was blown away. Like, man, this is something like, this is crazy, right? This, this means that the Bible's literally true and it's not just fiction uh, embellishment, you know, just crazy, you know, metaphor stuff. It's, real life clash of the titan stuff you know oh, yeah and and i never intended this but i ended up getting a pretty huge audience of young people 
like kids. And it's because of that, you know, it's like that the, the kids are like, you know, they're already into the clash of the Titans and all that, that type of stuff. Right. And we're taught Greek mythology in school. They won't let us teach the Bible, but you know, in public school, but they'll teach the Greek myths. And so, you know, what kid isn't fascinated by all that stuff when you compound that with Thor and the, you know, the superhero genre and all that. And then you show them, Hey, you know, this is in the Bible. And you know, the kids are like, what? Wow. Look at that. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah sure. I, the Avengers movies, man. I mean, I, I didn't even really even, cause I, I'm really not into, I know this is, sounds kind of weird. I'm not really into superhero movies. Hmm. Like, uh, I don't know, man. I just I'm not really into like ninja movies either, like where the, the all the uh, karate and stuff like that. I mean, I was at a time, but it was kind of like I grew out of it. I don't know, but like as I got deeper into the research and realized, like, hey, this stuff that they're showing in the movies, like actual real stuff, you know, like that's that's the craziest part. Is you know, you see some like for example, what what's the beginning of um, is it the X Men where um, it's like Magneto's a kid. Yeah, when he's in the Holocaust. Yeah. Trying to get the Nazi guy is trying to get the powers to come out of him. So he literally executes his mom right in front of him. And the anger like produces that shockwave. But like uh studying the you know MK Ultra and this whole narrative that that's that is actually real as well, with uh, trauma-based mind control and all these different things, these are literal things that happen. You know, and I don't know to the extent of that shockwave, but I can imagine that, you know, Stranger Things, the TV show, is more real than oh, yeah. people talk about. I mean, I've even heard Michael Heiser and some of these other guys talk about it, and I don't think they give it the credit that it needs. I mean, this stuff is like super real. Yeah. I mean, the telekinesis and the uh, the children, I mean, and how the, the, I mean, they showed you in, how are you familiar with Stranger Things? Oh, yeah, man. The, the last season. Like, I mean, it was. I think it was originally supposed to be called Montauk, but then they just decided to change the it. Last season, they had the black goo kind of stuff. I mean, pretty much. I mean, it's literally showing you the Black Awakening, and they showed you, like, I can't remember what the guy's name is, the lifeguard kid, the one that started oh, the yeah. whole, right? Yeah. When he's back there and he gets, like, when they get in a battle, it's, like, later on in the season, but he's hurt, right? And he's laying there in the floor of that warehouse where they've been taking people to, and he's, like, you can see his veins just like venom, you know, how the, the stuff yeah, yeah. do. And the and, and he says, they know about us, right? Or they know about me, he says. And then the girl that's with him says, but they don't know about us. And then you see like all the whole towns like zombified, <laughs> but they're all charged up with that goo in their veins. I mean, <sighs> that stuff is like that's the armies of Antichrist, right? I mean, it's a metaphorical representation of what is really about to happen. At some point in the near future, it looks like. Uh, but, yeah, it blows me away, man. That's what makes me want to watch these shows now. Not, you know. Well, I mean, that's the unfortunate thing is you know, Hollywood gets it. Now, they have a, a skewed, often flipped version of it. But at least they get it. You know, the church is teaching the Sethite theory, right? Like, they've done away with the supernatural altogether for the most part. I mean, you, you, a lot of churches are not teaching the, the gifts of the spirit and, you know, the good side of the power, nor are they teaching the bad side and what was going on in Genesis chapter six. And, you know, without an understanding of the supernatural, I mean, what do we have left? Right. <laughs> you know, there's nothing much to the story if you throw all that stuff out. And, you know, so many times I'm watching these, you know, 
Hollywood movies. And I'm like, man, like, you know, I'm watching well, when I was doing research for uh, my second book, Archon Invasion. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion that Nephilim, yes, they are the offspring of angels mating with humans. But I believe that the, you can extend the definition to basically that which has been corrupted from the image that God originally created through hybridization. Uh, because the Bible is very specific about reproducing after its kind. Everything's supposed to reproduce after its kind. I and mean, you're not supposed to mix seed. You're not supposed to blend stuff, you know? Uh, and so, you know, when I start looking at animal human hybridization, I see the book of Joshua chapter four, verse 18 and Jubilees uh, 724, I think it is, uh, you know, talks about in, in the latter days of Methuselah, the last 120 years leading up to the flood, which is what Genesis six, three is talking about that men began to blend species. And, it was the mixture of species that corrupted all flesh and led to violence and only evil continually. And this whole reason for the flood. So, you know, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, wow. And I have, I had Tom Horn's book, uh, forbidden gates and, uh, Doug Hamp's book, corrupting the image. And, uh, and I think it was <laughs> book was on the left and Tom and horns was on the right. If I remember right. And I'm looking at the two books, like sitting on my desk in that order. I'm going, wait a minute. What if that's the, what if that's the formula? What if corrupting the image, the original that God created through hybridization leads to opening forbidden gates that brings about the return of the Nephilim? So I'm having this thought. And then the movie Spider-Man comes out where the, the movie that had the, the lizard was the main bad guy in the movie. Well, I mean, if you see the movie, the, the, the guy that becomes the lizard was a good guy. He was a scientist. He was a doctor who uh, in the comic book, I, I believe he had lost the the lower part of his arm, like from the elbow down mm -hmm. uh, in a combat injury in, you know, warfare. And, you know, so he's, he's studying biology and he's looking, he's like, why is it that you could cut the tail off a lizard and it grows back? What is the genetic code that enables limb regeneration? So his, his motives were good. Like he wanted to grow his arm back. And if he could do that, then he could help lots of people, you know, amputees and people who have problems and stuff like that. So, you know, he starts off with, honestly good intentions uh so he starts messing around with mice he's cutting the legs off of mice and he's injecting them with lizard dna and most of them fail but finally he gets a, a viable subject and the, and the leg grows back he's like aha you know and so he decides to ch try it on himself he injects his stump and well you know his arm grows back and but he had an unfortunate side effect. Yeah. He became a giant lizard human, you know, Nephilim that had only evil continual in his heart and mind became the main enemy of the, of the movie. And, you know, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, man, like Hollywood gets it, mm. you know, um, they don't get the full, the big story. They don't get the whole picture of it, but they get enough of it. And, you know, the church is missing it in my opinion. And, and you know, there's, there are those few people out there that are talking about it. Some of the people we mentioned earlier, sure. but you know, by and large, the church isn't addressing it. I was like, yeah, we've talked about this several times about um, secular prophets on our show where we talk about, you know, people, I know you're a big uh, Star Trek fan like Gene Roddenberry, who, you know, in the sixties created this idea of this technology where did he get that information from that ended up, you know, in the, in the nineties, the two thousands where we have flat screen TVs, flip phones, 3d printers. These were all things that Gene Roddenberry talked about in the sixties. That stuff was unheard of back then. Um, and then we see this with, with a lot of our modern technology and a lot of with our modern media, with all these different themes that keep running through these different shows, like zombies and stuff. Like when I look through the end times of the people that took the marks, you know, they, 
they you know break out lesions they uh, if you read Joel 2 they they jump over buildings and climb through walls mm-hmm. they search for death and don't die this sounds like modern day zombies to me like what we would what we would normally you know picture as it and and it sounds more like something from world war z but um we see this a lot of these things that are constantly being being pushed that we're like where where do they get this stuff from and it's either being i believe either inspired or they 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 are given a gift of prophecy but it's just like nebuchadnezzar they're not able to discern what they're seeing and they you know they become writers or musicians or or you know producers and come up with this stuff and put it out there and make best selling books and stuff you know well you know i think you know, i'm a writer myself it, you know, when, you, when you're writing you know doing creative writing ship writing stuff like that you know a good writer does a lot of research you know, about whatever topic is they're going to write about. So, you know, I, I do think some of these guys and some of them may even be Christians. Um, I've met a number, you know, people want to paint this big, bad, evil, broad stroke pedophilia over the entire state of California, you know, or, or over the city of Los Angeles. Um, but the fact is there are godly people in the industry trying to be light in the darkness. Uh, you know, I know some of them, you know, um, in every now and then these people might be able to get a little seed in, wherever they're able to, you know, in the industry that they're working in. Um, but otherwise, like like X-Men Apocalypse there, uh, I don't know if you saw that movie, but man, I mean, <laughs> you know, I saw that movie. I'm like, holy cow. That's the Antichrist. Like, like, did they read Babylon Rising? Like, I, mean, it, I felt like, you know, because, you know, a lot of Babylon Rising in my book was inspired by Tom Horn's book, uh, Apollyon Rising. And, you know, his book was inspired by Peter Goodgame's uh, The Giza Discovery. You know, uh, you know, everybody's building on each other's work, but there were elements of all of that in that movie. Like I'm talking to, to Guy Malone afterwards, and he, like he saw it about the same time I don't know, know Guy, but he's another uh, you know Christian researcher, uh, real big in Roswell. He actually has a Christian museum in Roswell to debunk the the narrative there. But you know, we had a long conversation. I was, I was sitting in the parking lot of the movie theater after I just got out and he had just seen, he's like, dude, did you just see this movie? I'm like, yeah. And uh, he ended up having me on his show, but it was like, it was like, literally they watched, they, they read our books and made a movie about it, you know? Uh, so, I mean, they may be doing that. Yeah, for sure. I just, we had the funding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, speaking of which I'm, I'm super excited. I've seen a lot of the things like coming out that you've been pushing for the the comic book and stuff like it looks it's awesome we're gonna have to get him like when we get the patches done we're gonna have to get rob to put one of the patches when he gets the movie going That's for right. sit rep so it'll be like our easter egg we'll we'll, we'll get we'll get you out of patch well, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah 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 that'd be cool because you know my yeah i call seed seed for a lot of reasons but it, one of the many reasons is that i'm seeding truth all over it and and my initial vision of it when I first came up with the idea back in 2009 was, Hey, you know, I'm going to put like Tom Horn and LA Marzulli and Steve Quayle, like in the show as themselves, <laughs> you know, whether I get them in person or, or there's just a marquee in the background, you know, it says, you know, you know, return of the Nephilim, you know, LA Marzulli or something just in a marquee that a character walks by, you know, the, the savvy audience member, this was my whole thing is uh, in 2000, uh, what was it? The uh, four, I think the passion of the Christ came out. I think it was yeah. 2003 or four. I think it was around then. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere three or four. Um, you know, it was a powerful movie and 
you know, Hollywood blacklisted Mel Gibson for making it and refused to do anything to help him with it. So he's like, okay, I'll do a grassroots thing. You know, he funded the film with his own money and he went to evangelical leaders around the world and got their support because he knew that if the church supported it, then they would promote it. And that would be his distribution model. You know, you got pastors and pulpits everywhere telling me, Hey, go see this movie. And entire churches were, were, were going to the movie theater and buying out all the seats so that their people could go see it. You know, it was a genius uh, marketing program. Um, but there was, a, you know, it's a powerful movie and, some of the evangelical leaders wanted him to essentially run just as I am at the credits, you know, do an invitation at the end of the movie and, and you know, for people to get saved. Right. And he, he, I saw an interview with him talking about this and he's like, you know, no guys, that's, that's not my job. That's your job. He said, my job is to put compelling images up on that screen. Your job is to do the follow-up. And I'm like, yeah, he's exactly right. You know, having been a missionary for over six years, I learned that you know salvation and and bringing to somebody to salvation comes through relationship. You know, the care what you know when they know that you care kind of thing. You have a relationship with the person, and through that relationship and various you know methods of communication, you're able to walk your friend or family member over to the gospel. That comes through relationship. It doesn't come from sitting in a movie theater. You know. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I, I remembered that. I remembered what he said. And I thought that's the that's the genius plan right there is put compelling images on that screen that you, the savvy audience, especially those who've done the research, when you watch this show, which is made for a secular audience. I'm not making a Christian show. I'm a, I'm a Christian, right. but I'm making a show to serve on a secular palate. So because that's my audience, I want the world to go see it. Um, and the the savvy Christian will see the seed that I plant. And, mm-hmm. you know, when their friend and family members talking, Hey, did you watch seed last night? You know, that cool, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. Hey, did you catch, you know, I don't like using the term Easter egg, but you know what I mean? In the, in the industry, what, what an Easter egg is, I call it a seed is I'm going to be having seeds everywhere, you know? And, and so, you know, anytime I can get in partnership with other researchers and get their agreement, like uh, Dr. Judd Burton, uh, is a good friend of mine. I actually put him in the I think it's either episode one or two uh, as himself, like like a, yeah, yeah, like part a, of yeah. I mean, he's an actual like like right. the seeds an acronym for supernatural extraterrestrial exploration and defense. It's like the X Files uh, SEAL team. You know, if you had a SEAL team for X Files, you know that kind of thing. And so part of their training is to go sit in in these lectures and, and hear about the paranormal from various people that have studied it. And one of the lectures they attend in the story is one given by Dr. Judd Burton, uh, who's an archaeologist, you know, and, and I also have uh, Dr. Aaron Judkins in there as himself, you know, uh, and Joe Taylor also. So, you know, I want to I want to do a lot of that through the series. And so, so what happens is if, if people are watching it and they pick up on it or you tell your friends or family what it is, then the next thing they do, oh, really? Steve Quayle's a real guy? Huh. So they go online and Google Steve Quayle and then you're on a rabbit trail for months. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, it's like that guy that wrote that song, 8675309. Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly right. That's what people do. Right. You know, and I saw another great example of this in um, the TV series Lost, um, which I enjoyed for the first four seasons. I think season five and six, they got lost making Lost. But uh, in season two, they had a character named Echo, who I really grew to love in the show. He was this big black guy and he had a walking stick. Mm-hmm. And 
they would show him like carving in the stick, but they wouldn't show what he was carving. You know, right. he's, he's, you know what is he doing? It, but then there was this one episode where they did an over the shoulder shot for like a second. You know, it's kind of like you blink, you miss it. And they showed what he was carving. Well, he was carving scripture addresses. Huh. Well, okay. Yeah. Sheila and I were watching it on DVD. So what is that? If you catch that, you're like, what? You, you rewind, you hit pause. What's the next thing you're going to do? You're going to go open your Bible and look up the verse. Why is Echo carving that scripture reference? You know, uh, and that's the, that's the beauty of, of especially the sci-fi fantasy genre is, you know, sci-fi geeks. And I'm one of them you know, we'll, we'll do stuff like that. You know, it, it's not one of those, it's not like a passive watching, you know, you, you know, there are shows that you just passively watch and you, you turn your brain off and, you know, you just watch the show, but there are other shows. I mean, that's the reason why Star Trek has the kind of following that it has, you know, X-Files has the following that it has you know, Star Wars, you know, how many YouTube channels are dedicated to Star Wars geeks trying to figure out what's going on between movies, you know, <laughs> Like people will do that. They'll create fan base wiki sites and stuff like that. And you'd be blown away if you went on the gaming site. I mean, Aaron, you can talk about this, but there's like there's video games where there's millions of hits where someone's trying to I can't find the secret to this. And it's just like some guy walking you through the game showing you where the secret is. Oh yeah. Like, imagine if that takes you know, you you will have people that will crack the code in the seed shows, you know, exactly. be able to explain it. Exactly. Uh you know, and have these fan sites. I mean, think about this Q thing. Yeah. So, you know, my channel started in the very beginning of, or well, the very end of 2017, but Q started in October of 2018, I think it was. And there are channels that took over the entire, like, YouTube platform, and all they do is read the stupid Q thing. And then they babble on. They're like, it's like a random gamer that switched over right he's still in his mom's basement but he somehow knows all the secret messages that q's putting out and yeah it's just a nightmare you're like what and and, and they get it, it pisses me off because you're, you're like they have two hundred and fifty thousand people and you're like they literally are reading from another page that's it yeah. you know it's nuts man and and yeah, unfortunately, we fall we fall on the truth side of truth, and so we, we get way we get far less far less uh, followers. Well, yeah. I mean, what what I mean, what if we could do that in a way that's cool, it's exciting, it's fun to watch, but advances the kingdom? Absolutely, that's I mean, that's, yeah, the whole, awesome. that's the whole point of seed. <laughs> so, yeah. is how do I take over twenty years of research that I've done? and combine it with the research of the people that I researched and put it in a way that can get it out to the masses. I mean, it's cool. We do these podcasts, you know, we do radio shows, we do conferences, we reach a few thousand people, you know, make publish a few books or something, but we're not reaching the millions of people that Hollywood is reaching with their movies. You know, I mean, and and this is what people need to understand is when it comes to the money issue, look, I'm not about money. I, I I live a very modest life. I'm not about fancy cars. I drive a Toyota Camry, you know, it's almost what 2014 Camry, 2013. Uh, You sound rich. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm rolling, I'm rolling into the dough here (laughs) for me, you know, when it comes to, you know, uh, funding, it's how do I get this project made? Because I can't go to Hollywood. You know, uh, I don't like Hollywood. I don't like the system. I don't want to participate in the system. You know, there are people, like I said earlier, who are working there who are Christians that I will network with and, and try to collaborate with. Sure. But I can't go through a studio. So 
because they'll control my content, censor me, cancel me prematurely if they want to, you know, own the rights. It's just a nightmare. So I have to do it crowdfunded. So what people need to understand is, you know, think $1, one soul, because that's what it equates to. You, you, when you when you make a movie for $150 million, they're easily reaching 150 million people. Mm-hmm. A lot more than that. I mean, I was a missionary in Northeast India in the little sliver of India you know, on the east side there. It's just, you know, India kind of looks like a stretched out Texas with a little wing on the side there. Mm-hmm. Northeast India. I was there and th- th- these, these were like houses on grass stilt, you know, grass houses on stilts kind of thing, you know, uh, third world kind of place. And yet people are walking out on Star Wars T-shirts and you could you could say hey, through an interpreter, where does the phrase may the force be with you come from? And they all know it. OK, yeah. I mean, billions of people have been reached by Star Wars, you know, or pick a movie, you know, yeah. and if people wonder why movies cost so much, just go try make one. <laughs> you, you're going to quickly find out, oh, that's why it costs so much. You know, when you see all the names going up at the credits you got to pay all those people, you know, uh, you know, especially these, you know, big budget, uh, you know, uh, blockbuster movies, $150 million. When you sit there and watch, you know, 10 minutes of credits, you go, Oh, okay. You know, you know, there's some bloated budgets in there and, you know, paychecks for sure. But Hollywood understands, you know, $1 equals one person. I'm going to reach a person. You know, I think the secular world understands this too. I, I there's a uh, there's a group uh, who do like like kind of this format, except they play Dungeons and Dragons, and they're called Critical Role. And they were going to take their show from just this kind of format to turn it into a cartoon. And in like a week, they raised like ten million dollars. I mean, just because I mean, you should see their their feed. Their feed is just when you watch you watch this show. Their feed is just nonstop. I mean, there's thousands of people that watch it, you know, on a on a regular basis. It's live once a week, and it's just insane that they were just like that able to just throw that money together <laughs> to get that done. So, you, you know, know, and then here, you you have you know when when I when I did the br- breakdown of the budget for Seed, I came to the conclusion I'm going to have a minimum of about a three million dollars per episode budget per episode. Okay, that's 72 episodes, $3 million a piece. Uh, And if you think that's a lot of money, just go look at whatever your favorite show is and what they're being made for. You know, uh, a lot of the big shows out there right now are pushing close to 10 and $15 million per episode. You know, so I'm I'm way down on the low end of of what episodic television is is costing, you know, Uh, you know, and it sounds to me, that's a ridiculously insane amount of money. Like that's just what? Until you realize there's a whole lot of people out there, and if you break it down to little bite-sized chunks, you know you get several million people contributing thirty dollars. Well, guess what? <laughs> you know you're funded. You know I mean it can happen that fast. And a good example of that is the TV series The Chosen. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah, I really like that show. Um, they raised uh, over $10 million from like, I forget it was like 16,000 or 160,000 people or something like that. I forget what the numbers were, but uh, very impressive. With, I don't know what they used the $10 million for. I got to be honest. The first four, that funded four episodes. Now, there may have been funding going behind the scenes for the infrastructure that they're building because they have their own distribution model and everything. So that may be part of it. But $10 million didn't go into the production of it. I can tell you that. I mean, it's, it's dudes walking around in robes. <laughs> I mean, 
there's not a whole lot going sandals, on. Sandals are expensive. Yeah. Birkenstocks, man. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. $150 sandals. You're right. But, <laughs> but, you know, as far as the story goes and in the acting and everything, I'm, I'm like really impressed with it. I, I'm very much enjoying it. But it, their model, I wrote a business plan for Seed, you know, almost 10 years ago now. Uh, and they did it. So they're my proof of concept. Like, like literally, if you look at their whole model from concept to, to, to completion and look at the business plan I wrote 10 years ago, they did it. Like they did exactly what I wrote. So now I can say, well, here's the proof of concept. You know, th these guys did exactly what I'm proposing here. So we know it works. You just got to make it happen. You know, but, but, you know, I say that now, um, and I'll just be honest with you guys. Like I look at the world around me and I've been saying for, you know, about five years now that I believe that I'll die of old age before uh, the return of Christ. I'm, I'm beginning to rethink that <laughs> because, cool. uh, you know, the reason I said that was because there's way too many things in my mind that still needed to be fulfilled that before the end could come. And, but what has happened in like a month, <laughs> one month yeah. you know, that the preview in that you showed for, for this broadcast um, what was that resident evil or something you said? Yeah, I can show it again. You want to watch it? I found it. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and play that. Well, let me, uh, do some, uh, finagling here. You can keep talking and I'll, yeah, well, I can talk you know, over you when I go to share it. It nails it. I mean, you know, you talk about prophecy, right? I mean, it, it's a fictional narrative showing what very likely was a conversation in real life with the elite, because what is happening right now is, is like, that's the playbook, you know? Yeah. We'll go ahead and play it. Actually, I was just trying to solve a development problem that we had. Brand new hardware, brand new software. You're testing the stuff out. It would hang up all the time. So the only solution you have is turn the power off, wait a few seconds, turn the power back on, and, you know, wait for it to go through the power on stealth test. I said, I'm writing all this code for the keyboard. I can, you know, let's just shortcut it. I originally intended for it to be what we would now call an Easter egg, just something we were using in development. It wouldn't be available elsewhere. But then the pubs people found out about it, and they're, they're trying to figure out how to tell somebody to start up a, one of their programs, and they had the answer. Just put the diskette in, hit Control-Alt-Delete, and by magic, your program starts. So it was like a five-minute job in doing it. I didn't realize I was going to create a cultural icon when I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I have to share the credit. I may have invented it, but I think Bill made it famous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Setting the tone. Oh boy. We're here today not just to talk about the future of this company. We're here to talk about its destiny. We're here to talk about the end of the world. We stand on the brink of Armageddon, diseases for which we have no cure. Fundamentalist states who call for our destruction, nuclear powers over which we have no control. And even if we navigate these dangerous waters, we face other, even more inevitable threats. Global warming will melt the polarized gaps within 80 years, flooding 90% of all habitable areas on Earth. 
unchecked population growth will overtake food production in less than 50 years, leading to famine and war. This is not conjecture. This is a fact. One way or another, our world is coming to an end. And the question is, will we end with it? What do you propose? I propose that we end the world, but on our terms, an orchestrated apocalypse, one that will cleanse the earth of its population, but leave its infrastructure and resources intact. It's been done once before with great success. The chosen few will ride out the storm, not in an ark as in the book of Genesis, but in safety underground. And when it's over, we will emerge onto a cleansed earth, one that we can then reboot in our image. And just how do you intend to achieve this? The means of our salvation are already at hand. I give to you a T-virus. Here, Lisa. <laughs> Yeah. Talk about prophetic, right? Uh, well, is it prophetic or is this just a script <laughs> that they're actually following uh, and, and putting it in plain sight for us? Like, I, you know, I believe Amos 3.7, you know, God says, I don't do anything except to tell the prophets first what I'm going to do. So I believe that's actually a, a universal law that God himself has bound himself by, which means everybody else is bound by it. So, you know, the devil, the dark side, however you want to word it, they have to do that. They have to put it out there first. Yeah. So when I see that plan effectively rolling out right now and I'm looking at how fast things are falling into place and, you know, I'm going, wow, okay. There's still a, quite a bit of things that in my mind still need to happen. And it is going to take some time for those things to happen. But now I'm seeing how fast these things can happen. So, you know, I started to say earlier, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself, uh, questioning my own calling at the moment. Um, I know for w without a doubt that God called me out of a full-time good paying job actually to do what I'm doing now, uh, with confirmation after confirmation, he showed me you're going to do this. And he's opened up many supernatural doors of favor. And anytime I've walked out what I'm doing right now, he is, he's made things possible that in the natural are not possible. So on the one hand, I'm like, okay, father, I know that you're in this, seed I'm talking about. You, you, you've you made things so po like I committed to a $100,000 budget without having $100,000, you know, uh, to work with this uh, special effects company in South Africa. I committed to that nine o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, two o'clock in the afternoon, the same day, I went to my PO box and somebody had written me a check for $100,000, like the exact amount that I had just committed to without having it, you know? So, I mean, that's God. How else do you describe where else, you know, come on, that's God. So, I'm going, all right, Father, I see uh, that. And then on the other side, I'm going, who the heck's going to care about a TV show like <laughs> if we're in the apocalypse? You know, if we're heading into the tribulation, like we're not going to have food tomorrow. Who the heck's going to care about a TV show? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing forward because that's what I'm called to do. You know, I'm doing what I believe he told me to do uh, still. But even as I'm doing it, I'm saying there, should I be like, being more concerned about food right now or <laughs> you know what I mean 
<laughs> I think I, I, I'm honest with you. You know, I, it's I'm I'm questioning things now. You like edit a clip, buy a, a month's worth of rice. That's what we'll, we'll, on Amazon. Well, so one, yeah, one, do I do I do animation and continue working on a comic book, or go, get out in the yard and start making a freaking garden? Yeah. <laughs> well, know? see, that's that's what we're doing. I feel uh, I feel like. Uh, you know, we're being called to, to change our, our behaviors um, so that we're ready because we're definitely not prepared. You know, with, with the people freaking out about this, what I will call man-made virus with a economic collapse as created by our government. If people weren't ready for this, what's coming, the spectacle that is the end times. Man. I mean, the Bible says that the, the men's hearts will fail them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like you'll literally be fear, be, fear, yeah. with fear. Right. So, yeah. But the one thing that I that I I have noticed because eschatology has been in my blood for I mean since I was young. Revelation was my favorite book, you know. And then I got into Daniel, and then I got into studying everybody in the '80s and '90s that that was big into you know end times. Um, but one thing I have noticed that the big power moves that have been done is done generationally. They know that if they throw everything on us all at once, there'll be a revolt. And I think part of what was happening in, in, in Hong Kong, what was happening in the EU where they were having the yellow vest revolts, like people were turning against the idea of what was coming. You know, like they, they people just felt it in them and people were revolting. And so what do they do, they drop a virus and now all of that is gone, mm-hmm. you know. But what I do, what I do notice is you look at like 9-11, right? That happened 20 years ago. And it's taken them 20 years to get to the next step. It could be 20 years to the next step. It could be 10 years. I mean, their progression could be getting faster. But if you study anything like, you know, and I know Rob does and I know Ian does, we study these people who are in control. It's not just one person. They do this generationally and they play the long game where they're like, well, we can only get away with so much right now. So we'll try this again in 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but what I think God is trying to get us to the point where we talk about the Joshua generation a lot about how God is raising up the Joshua generation and where God is trying to get us to the point where we're raising our children not like the world is raising their children They're not addicted to TV, not addicted to caffeine, you know, start building a garden. So we just bought some chickens today. So we're going to be raising chickens, like mm-hmm. teaching those kind of things to our children, because this may just be like round one, but this is a multi round fight. You know, just like Jesus said about the birth pains, you know, it, there's, you know, if anybody that's had children, you know, they start off with a couple of like, Oh, it's time to go. But then as it progresses, they get faster and and closer together. So I believe this is just one of those outskirting. It's time to go to the hospital birth pains. Mm -hmm. So there could be plenty of, there could be more time. I'll say that. I don't think this is the end of the world. This is all man-made. No, I I agree. I agree with you. My concern though is, and this is the first, like, okay, I came off the pre-trib rapture page back in like, Oh nine ten time period. You probably if you follow my Facebook. It's like that's what it's like. because well, I saw a lot of people. You know, it's like don't worry. You know, Jesus is gonna get us out of this. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not happened. We're not. We, there's no preacher rapture. You know, and, and I was a hardcore dispensation. You know, theology pre-tribber. Like, I even had I created a whole ministry called If I Disappear, Go Here, <laughs> and I had all these little. I made these like. uh uh, uh, business cards. You ever see the business cards that you like? You can open up. So you know, it's like a little tent or something. You know, yeah. it, it's it, it, so it's got stuff on the inside it's and right bowl. Bowl. yeah, like kind of like that. But it's business card sides, you know. Oh, okay. uh, and it, it was like if I disappear, go here, and it had all these things like you know if you got left behind. This was when left behind was like real big. Uh, okay. right? So if you so got left, you find on the urinal. 
dude i put them everywhere man i i put up like a thousand of them and have put them everywhere um and so it was like hey you know because th- of course this was like you know this was when i was drinking the kool-aid about 1948 too you mm-hmm. know so you know 1948 you know this generation will not pass away right and so we had uh, 1988 you know that people were saying well generation is 40 years so there was like all this stuff coming out 88 reasons why christ is going to return in 1988 right <laughs> you know uh, and I was in the army at the time and, you know, I was kind of on that bandwagon cause I was like, yeah, man, 88, you know, it's 40 years since Israel, you know, became a nation. So, you know, my, and my whole thing was like, okay, well, Hey, fine. You don't believe me, but if I disappear, go here. And I had, you know, I had this whole resource thing set up and all this checklist of, you know, wars, rumors of wars, all the lists, right. You know, check, 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 check. You see all these things happen. Right. And you know, we all disappear. Well, you know, here's the plan of salvation, you know, kind of stinks. You got left behind, but you know, don't get left behind for eternity kind of thing. Right. So I was a hardcore reed river. Like there's nothing you, anybody out there is going to do to convince me to come back to that camp with any, Anything you're going to show me, I've already believed myself and taught passionately with all the zeal that I talk about anything else I believe. You know, so, you know, I came off the pre-trib page, moved briefly to mid-trib, and then finally settled on post-trib pre-wrath, which is where I'm at now. Um, But when I saw, and I've been talking about the vaccine issue being a mark of the beast thing since I read Tom Horn's book, um, uh, Pandemonium's Engine. And in that book, I think it was in the introduction, he talked about, yeah, the mark of the beast buying and selling is what everybody talks about, but consider this. You know, what if they release a pandemic that's re- going to require a vaccination that is going to c- contain beast DNA, you know, animal DNA, hybrid DNA, Nephilim DNA, Antichrist DNA, who knows? It's not going to be good, but they're going to promise you everything. You know, it's going to, don't worry about this virus. It's going to cure that. Oh, cancer. Don't worry about it. Guess what? You're going to get 500 years now. You know, you're going to get, you know, all this wonderful benefits. You got to get it. But if you don't, you don't get it. Well, guess what? You're not allowed in the store. You're not allowed on the airplane. You can't drive your car. You can't get a license. You're in quarantine. Well, you know, if you're quarantined, then you can't buy and sell. So, and, and, and he made a case that made the most sense of anything that I had seen prior about the mark of the beast is that like, look, yes, there's the buying and selling issue, but there's also the men beg for death, but death flees from them issue. <laughs> you know, that they have count, they have, a, they have purchased a counterfeit immortality. And that's when I began to think, well, we have our immortality through the blood of Yeshua, you know, the precious shed blood of the lamb. That's how my, that's how I gained my immortality. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense to me then that the antichrist would have a counterfeit of that that it would be through his blood that you have a counterfeit immortality apart from God. Uh, that's why you're cast alive into the lake of fire. You know, you yep. can't die, you know, yep. you become unresurrectable and they, they go. That's why I think a lot of people miss in that. Uh, we just had a study on that not too long ago um, at my house. Um, but they're thrown in. There's no like go to jail, no timeout, no anything. You go straight to the fire with the beast and the false or the false prophet and the the antichrist. So I mean, and and for anybody that look that looks at that, it, it says that they are tormented for eternity, mm-hmm. like because they don't get. You know, I'm more of a destructionist, like where you know if you you get the option, you know, to be with God or you cease to exist, like he throws you in the fire and poof, you're gone. Um, so I see a different, a complete different correlation between those who take the mark and those who are just your everyday, you know, atheist or agnostic, you know? So there's yeah, a huge yeah. difference. Yeah. 
Well, what I was getting to with all that is that, you know, if you're going to live through the tribulation, like I do believe we are going to go through the tribulation in this life, you will have tribulation. I don't know why, you know, he was pretty clear on that. Uh, Paul says that the harpazo, the catching away, we meet him in the clouds. When's he in the clouds? Matthew 24, 29, 31. After the tribulation of those days, you know, it's pretty clear. When you start thinking, Oh boy, I got to go through this thing. And when I'm looking at what's happening right now, yeah, this you could be right. This may be a trial run. I, you know, I tend to believe that myself. They're testing the waters to see, you know, what can they get away with. And boy, we've proven they can get away with anything. Yeah. You know, so like if this is a trial run, what's coming is really going to stink. Um, and I, I literally, it was sitting in the car just I don't know if it was today or yesterday, whenever it was, very recently, just thinking, wow. You know, there's a reason why they bought all those guillotines like what 10 years yeah. ago. I don't know if you remember, you know, yeah. like five, 10 years ago, there was all this, all this reporting on, you know, million FEMA had millions of cough, you know, plastic coffins, and you know, they're buying up all these guillotines all of a sudden. And you know, that was back when everybody's talking about the zombie apocalypse, right? Um, well, I mean, they still have that stuff, and so now I'm thinking to myself, wow, like, like we're very close to that time where it, that could be the option. It's like, okay, you don't want a vaccination. There's the guillotine, you know? Uh, it, it was like, if for the first time in my life, I actually really let that, the reality of that sink in and thought to myself, well, you know, if the choices of vaccine are making my head a bowling ball, you know, send me down the lane, you know? I don't uh, think know. that I, I think about this too. And I, I, here's the thing is my idea of this. I think that this is definitely uh, a God thing because I feel like sometimes we want to give the enemy too much credit. Like, oh, they're really good at planning things. They really did a number on us now, right? I believe that they're only allowed to do things when God allows them access to us. Um, And so this is a test for us, right? And it just so happens that all these the, the, the clocks are aligned, you know what I mean? And cause I feel like those of like, for example, the Enoch, right. It just, it just so happens that in the last couple of years, we're starting to understand the um, message and the secrets within the book are coming unsealed. Right. Big time. And, and the very thing it says in the very beginning is this mm-hmm. is going to be sealed until the last generation. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I guess since we're uncovering these things and it's being revealed to us, that we can take that as a hint that, that we are preparing for something big and God has set us here and chosen us um, no matter how insignificant we feel right now. He's raising people up. He didn't tell you to make seed. He didn't tell us to, to start training and doing sit rep and training up this Joshua generation, teaching spiritual warfare and how to handle yourself when crap hits the fan. I mean, this is like the real test. That's kind of like, Wake up, people. You know what I mean? Like you're about to get real uncomfortable. And and God can't ever get your attention. And, and and this is a personal thing. I know you guys both identify with this. When God's trying to get your attention to change, you know, to make you change something that you're doing, he has to hurt you in some way. The pain is what causes you to pay attention for once, you know? Um, like when you're a child and you get grounded, you have, you're like constantly doing all these different things to try to figure out how your child responds you're like, I'm going to take his, you know, this away from him. And it didn't really do anything. I'm going to spank him. That didn't really do anything. You know, whatever. And then you take away their car and they start listening. You know what I mean? You found it, right? So God's, you know, 
I, I believe the, the enemy's trying to do the same thing. They're trying to figure out how do they control all of us because they do have an agenda. They were sitting around that table. They have had that conversation, you know. Um, how many of them even say it? I mean, you got you know, half of these guys. I mean, Bezos even says that they're going underground. And he said the only way to survive what's coming is to get off planet. I mean, these guys, they legit think this. I mean, half the stuff they do, we give them credit like they're geniuses. They're guided by dark forces. They have allowed themselves to become a portal for darkness, just like we are a portal for the light. But we don't think of ourselves that way. We don't walk in the authority that we have. We don't carry the seal of the king with any kind of respect. Like we, That's what the whole don't take the Lord's name in vain is all about. It's not about saying, oh, God, or you know something like that. It's about do you carry the seal of the king and honor it? Right. Or, you know what I mean? The, the seal of the king is his character that you're walking with. And are you bringing shame to that? You know, calling yourself a follower of Christ, but yet not, you know, doing what he wants you to do. And that's what he's waking everybody up with. I think he's trying to wake everybody up with that, at least right now and say, guys, get get real. This is about to get real bad. Um, I'm giving you a grace period, you know, but you're going to wake up and I'm changing some things around. And he's also I mean, think about this. Some of these people you thought were Christians, how are they acting right now? They're completely overwhelmed with fear. I mean, and it, it maybe not so much in the first two weeks, but now that we're on like week three, week four, they're having mental breakdowns. You know what I mean? They're wearing masks now. They're they're making plastic bag suits to go to the grocery with. Uh, I mean, this crap is not normal, man. This is definitely some kind of spell that the Lord is allowed to take hold of people because of the fear and it's not a joke, and, and we, 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 we're we laughing and because we're, we're amongst friends, and, and we talk about, like, these people don't understand, you know, 1948 and, and the rapture, and they think they're going to be gone. This is sad, you guys. I mean, like, there's a bunch of people that legit think they're going to leave before stuff gets bad, and they're going to have kids that are dying. They're going to have family members that are dying, and they're not going to know what the heck's going on because no one told them because half the people that know disassociate from them. You know, this is a big deal. You know, we need to get this is the wake up call, guys. It's not so that we can, you know, check that mark on our little checklist of bug out bag stuff, you know, um, or we, yeah, we need to go that God's just telling us to go in and count the rest of the rice and make sure we have enough to last us for seven years or 1260 days or whatever, you know, whatever you're into. But I think instead of being like, you know, I think it's time to get serious, you know, and let's do what God called us to do. Like he's called you to make seed. He's called you to do certain things. He's called Aaron and I to do certain things. And I think it's time to get, you know, back in 2018, I was praying for direction. And I felt the Lord told me to get my house in order, right? That's still something. He didn't tell me, okay, you got that done. Go into something else. He gave me something else, but I'm still required to get my house in order. And I have five children and they need to be weapons for war. Like it says in the scripture, right? It says they are arrows in a quiver. They're weapons for war. I don't know that my kids are weapons right now. I need to make them a weapon. I don't want them to be baggage that I got to carry. I want them to be weapons. You know, that's part of getting your house in order. And I think big problem is the church has neglected to train their children. Everyone takes their kid to Sunday school and they put it on the, the, the backs of these, these Sunday school teachers. And then when their kid backslides, when they go to college, they're like, what the heck? It's because you didn't take ownership as being the father in the house and training your children. And living that godly life and being an example and using the authority, walking with this stuff, walking with the promise that God gave you, right? It's time to get serious. 
and we need to deal with the stuff that we got to deal with in our home. We got to talk about the real stuff that's happening in the world right now. And we have to be in the world being an example. You know, God can't move through anybody if we don't go out there. Yeah, good word. You know, like I said, it, you know, the command is occupy until he comes. And what does that look like? Well, only you can answer that. You know, it's like, what, 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 what is he telling you to do? You know, I know what I'm supposed to do. Like I said, I'm still doing it, but you know, while I'm doing, it, I'm going, yeah, like <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, who's going to care about a TV show if like, if it's a choice between food and TV, but you know, it's maybe, you know, it's not for me to question, right? Just, well, I mean, think about this too. You know, we talk about the Hegelian dialectic all the time and it's, you know, this problem reaction solution, or it's this, uh, you know, where it's, they give you this problem and then they go way over here and tell you what the solution is. Somehow you end up in the middle somewhere, right? So right now the narrative is we're not going back to normal for two years until we get vaccinated and no one's going to be allowed within six feet of anybody. All the crowds are, you're never going to be allowed in large numbers. Um, you know, just this crazy stuff. Right. And we're like ready to rise up. At least I am. I've been ready for like a week. Like, yeah, try to come in my house and take one of my kids out or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like they're saying, but this is, this is to, this is all trauma based. This is mind control guys. They're traumatizing us as a, glo- as a what you, globe, whatever. We'll just say globe right now or whatever you, the world, they're traumatizing the world because this fuels the demonic realm, the mystery of iniquity is fueled by the fear, right? This is like Monsters, Inc. They show you in the Disney film. They show you right up, straight up. The city of monsters is fueled by the screams of the children. I mean, they're showing you straight up, you know, exactly how this thing works. And we laugh about it. And, you know, I know I let my kids watch this stuff and I I regret it. But, you know, it's like, you know, you can't you can't shelter them from everything because they need to know you can. This is a coaching opportunity, right? They're going to come into some like think about that. I thought about this the other day. My kids are watching that Baby Yoda song. Have you seen the song? It's, it's mm-hmm. super catchy, dude. It gets in your head. You want to sing it and everything. It's got the little Baby Yoda stuff from the um, Mandalorian. Uh, Mandalorian show. And it's cute. He's a cute little dude. But guess what? I've heard my first thought was this looks like Lom. <laughs> I mean, with ears, you know what I mean? The the Aleister Crowley guy. Imagine if, if these, I mean, you know, you don't want to see these scary guys come to you and give you knowledge. But what if little baby Yoda shows up in your kid's room? And start <laughs> hey, them Ian, and do, did, you, did you know that, uh, was it John D summoned actually the first being and it was called, he called it Yoda? Did you know well, that? I mean, I think I might've heard that somewhere, but I don't, it doesn't put it back. I don't put it past him. I mean, these dudes are, I mean, the enemy is a smart guy. That's, this is radical, intelligent evil, and we act like it's some red guy with some horns, like, you know, and he's – it's very conniving. And it is a long game, dude, for sure. And you were saying about the generations. I think, like, legit, like, okay, the Joshua generation, the old generation died because it failed to do what it was supposed to do, right? We're looking at stuff happening right now, and they're testing to see what generation is is going to resist them, right? And you still have a lot of the old-time guys. You know, our grandparents, the ones that are still alive, our parents are getting to be that generation now. And they're, they're still willing to fight for their rights, you know. Once you eliminate the, the group that's over us, I mean, we're technically 
Generation X or Millennial, whatever you want, whichever way you want to sway it, right? I'm an 84, but the people under us don't have critical thinking skills at all. They're not like they're, they're, you know, they, they don't stand for anything. They don't even know anything. I mean, if you take their phone away from them, they're all freaking uh, have some kind of meltdown and probably kill themselves. I mean, it's really crazy, dude. Have you seen, there's a show on um, Amazon called the feed. Uh, you should definitely watch it, man. It's, it's, it's the creepiest thing. So everybody's part of this feed and they can like literally jack into their head if they want. And they, so they're seeing the things that they see on their phone every day, all of these apps and everything in the feed on your phone, but they don't have to have the phone anymore. It's all part of your eye, right? It comes in your, the one side of your eye. You can literally make Skype calls, all this stuff. And it's like, you're in the room. It's, it's everything that you can do now. Like technically we're in the room with someone more Skyping them. Right. But this one's like makes them a hologram and stuff. Right. And when they're doing the feed, it's so funny because normally you see people staring at your phone. Now you're just like lost in, in space, right. Staring at the scrying tablet. Well, when they jack it into your brain, people are just standing on the corner, like, like a zombie staring into the sky, smiling and laughing at things. And, and, but like when they pan out, everyone's just standing somewhere. They're not doing anything, but they feel like they're living this life. Mm -hmm. That's how they made. I mean, if you listen to the guys that created Facebook and, and all these things, they literally say it releases endorphins. It's made to trigger you to make you feel like you've accomplished something, even though you haven't done anything, you know, and it, because it's releasing these things in your body, just like drugs do, just like these, you know, you're getting these adrenaline dumps and you're feeling like you have this sense of accomplishment, like you just beat the video game when really all you did was eat Cheetos and sit on the couch for 24 hours. You know what I mean? And like, that's the generation that they're looking for. That's the perfect generation to pull their stuff out and start using it. That's the, we talk about this false alien invasion, possibly all these things. I mean, that's the generation that you want, right? So there's this is a wake up call for all of us. Like, hey, maybe I'm not. The, maybe I'm here, but maybe I die before all the crap goes down because we're not guaranteed to live through it. We'll see it, but we don't know. We're not. We don't have hindsight when you're. You know, you're facing starvation. We're, we're facing like famine coming up. We know the economy is gone, and this get, they're they're able to just give you twelve hundred dollars, and then you're like, cool. I don't even care about the Federal Reserve, dude. I'm gonna go buy me uh you know the new playstation and some shirts i don't you know what i mean it's like they don't care because you gave them 1200 bucks and if you don't think that they figured this out from data mining all your information and figure every group out this is game theory man they figured us out with ai and now they're running the playbook it's a it's a you know seven steps or whatever you want to say we might be on step number three they got four more to go and they ain't going to be good. And, and if you look at this one and you're like, holy crap, they made a fake flu and took out countries and made football go away. They just said football's not coming back this year at all. What is happening, dude? No, one, I mean, you would think that America would be pissed about that, but no one's they're like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? What's football? And you're like, what? It's, it's nuts, man. It's a, the spell is super strong. I'm telling you, we're the only antidote for this. You know what I mean? I mean, think about this. The scripture says we're the antidote for this. Yeah. I, I think what you you hit on a lot of points that I wanted to bring up tonight. And a lot of this, you know, I mean, most of the people that watch us are familiar with us know that we're we're big into conspiracy theory, like legitimate conspiracy theory. And we try to point out the stuff that is offshoots, rabbit trails that lead you to nowhere. One of the things that I've been seeing with all this, I've been following it since it was in Wuhan. 
like was the, 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 the pop-up of different information that was going. And we see the same thing with, with Q where you get conflicting information and you've got one truther group looking at this and one truther group looking at this, and then they're fighting. This to me is art of war. Like this goes all the way back to divide and conquer. They know the truther community and they know if they make any move, we're on it like that. So when I've been watching this, when I just saw everything, like, I mean, let, let's talk about like the Q aspect of it. With Q talking about, they're going to go and get all these pedophiles. And then you have somebody who's in the deep state, uh, Dr. Fauci, sitting right next to the president talking about pushing vaccines. You see him when do he, this from the stage? Yeah, yeah. Map him at hand sign. He's literally standing behind the pulpit doing this. Yeah. I mean, well, you have you have to get all crazy with the hand sign thing, but that's like a legit thing. You know, he did this earlier. He had his, his hand in the shirt. I mean, yeah. Come on now. Well, and you also you have Bill Gates. Bill Gates flew on on uh, the Lolita Express to Epstein so did Island. Trump. So did Trump. Right. Well, and then you, I mean, you've got Madonna backing up. She came on with a Luciferian shirt on talking about how she's going to donate a million dollars to the the Gates Foundation to push this. And then the next day, like everybody's like, oh, they're pushing, they're pushing the the vaccines, the the vaccines are coming. And then the next day, Trump goes, hey, uh, we're defunding the WHO. We're going to throw out. And the, the, the Surgeon General of the United States says, we're throwing out everything that the WHO told us to do. And we're starting over from scratch. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this back and forth that we're seeing and, and this, I mean, it's, I, I look through my feed and the utter chaos, I call it chaos magic, is just beyond belief. Just to see the truther community in shambles, not only is the Christian, Christian, which we can talk about here in a little bit, the Christian groups divided by Torah keepers versus evangelicals, you know, grace versus this, but when you get into everybody sitting at home and they're trying to figure out what's going on because they feel in them in their hearts that the government's lying to them. I mean, one third of the population doesn't believe the news anymore, you know, because they, they feel like they're lying to them because it's pretty evident, but you've got all these people that are now don't have a lot to do. They're trying to figure out the truth and they're going online. And the first thing they're hitting with a compilation of information is Q, you know, and Q saying, follow the plan, follow the plan right onto the Auschwitz train, you know, like, we, we really have to be careful because what I see from this with this back and forth and back and forth is it's meant to be chaotic. We're talking about a group that's that their slogan is order out of chaos. And what I think we're, we're looking at while everybody's concentrating on one or the other, we've always seen them to do smoke and mirrors. Pay attention to this while I do this over here. And they're doing it really quick right now. And what I see happening is they keep pushing this stuff back that, 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 that rebellion that was bubbling underneath the surface that we saw with the yellow, the, the yellow vest revolution that was happening in the EU, the protests that were happening in Hong Kong and the stuff that even all the way back to the tea party was happening here in the United States is bubbling under the surface. We're starting to see people are saying, I'm done with this quarantine. We're going to go start gathering together. We're going to start protesting this. And if that gets to a fever pitch, then we're looking at civil war where, you know, they brought all these, they're pulling people out of retirement for, you know, uh, from, from, from military service to come and go back to, to, uh, uh, army reserve and stuff like that. They're pulling them out for something, you know, and I think they're preparing for a civil war. So while we're concentrating on these remote things like 5g and, and this other, you know, like this virus is this, or, you know, it's fake, or they're doing this, like we're concentrating on these little remote things. They're running this plan right up the middle and we're falling for it. So we have to be really careful what we're sharing, what we're, you know, 
what we're getting involved in and invested in. Cause I mean, right now, more than anything, more than sharing stuff on Facebook, we should really be praying, like praying for guidance above everything else, because right now it is utter chaos and trying to just jump into the, the chaos is, is just going to get you more confused. And let me read you this because this is about game theory. Okay. Game theory isn't the study of how to win a game or chess or how to create role-playing game scenarios. Often game theory doesn't even remotely relate to what you'd commonly consider to be a game. It's on its most basic level. Game theory is the study of how people, companies, nations, politicians, you know, referred to as agents or players determine strategies in different situations in the face of competing strategies acted out by the other agents or players. Game theory assumes that agents make rational decisions all the time. There's some fault in this assumption. What passes for irrational behavior by most of society, like a buildup of nuclear weapons, for instance, is considered quite rational by game theory standards. However, even when game theory analyzes uh, analysis produces counterintuitive results, it still yields surprisingly in insightful information into human nature. For instance, do members of society only cooperate with each other for the sake of material gain, or is it uh, is there more to it? <laughs> Would you help someone in need if it hurt you in the long run? <laughs> I mean, this is, kind of, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but like you, you see, this is, they've already, this is a long play. I mean, they don't, like, we want to say you can't be president unless they got some dirt on you. You don't even get up to that level to be voted on unless they have some dirt on you, right? And we talked in the Q episode about Project Looking Glass. I mean, that's essentially what that thing was, you know, whether it's a crystal ball or whatever, whether it's divination, uh, whatever. We know they use this stuff, right? The black magicians use this on a regular basis, you know, um, why would they not use it to figure out how to make it easy for themselves to take over? Right. I mean, you look at some of these guys, man, Henry Kissinger is like 80 some years old. The dude was the secretary of, uh, the state during like Nixon or, or, I mean, it was like, I can't remember if it was Nixon or even before Nixon. I think it was before Nixon. It was like JFK and uh, all that stuff. Kissinger was there, you know. He's still there, man. You know what I mean? Like, holy crap, this guy will never die. Same with George Soros. These dudes. The Rothschilds. Uh... Yeah, the Rothschilds, you know what I mean? Those guys, I mean, they're evil people. But like, Even Aquino is getting old. He's, well, he's getting right. up there. That's yeah. why things have to be ramping up as quickly as they are. It's got to be because these guys know, look, we're not getting any younger. And well, think about what we've done. We've compounded on, like, you're not old, Rob, right? You, you might feel old, but you're not old. These dudes are old. <laughs> Coming from a guy who was born in 1984. <laughs> these dudes are like, you know, they. I mean, it's insane because a lot of them, they literally made their way into the scene when they're like 20. They're prodigies. You know what I'm saying? They were groomed for these spots. Imagine hanging out with the David Flynn's and the uh, all these guys, right, for freaking 70 years and doing bad stuff and having no, like, you don't even need money. You don't need a real job. You're, you, Everyone's telling you all the crazy secrets. You know what I mean? Like, imagine the stuff that you know. And I've listened to uh, a re like really deep, you know, occult military people 
and they don't think of it as working with dark entities. They say that's a side effect. They just believe these are like the the progenitors, you know, and you have to deal with them, right? But it's all about selfish gain, and they do things because they feel like they're called, just like they're called chosen ones, right? Just like we feel called by our God, the God. They feel called by theirs, but they don't get the answers. Like they have not got the secrets. They, they still are leveling up, so to speak, but they still have this. Even the one guy I listened to, he's been doing this. He considers himself the smoking man from X-Files, right? He even says at some point it will all be revealed, but if it doesn't, it will be revealed in the next life. And, you're, and he's like, so I build what I can and someone will come behind me and build on what I've left. But they're cool with not knowing, you know, um, and, but it's all about what do they want right now? Because they have the ability to take it and get it, you know, it's the lemma, the law of will, right? But we have the same exact principles and God even told us what his desire is for us to go and get and take and use this book and use these principles and promises to do this stuff. This is the plan. You know what I mean? Maybe he's waiting for us. Maybe we are the contingency. When we start operating in the playbook, then he knows, okay, I'll lift the restrainer and we can deal, you know, get this thing moving. Maybe that's what the, you know what I mean? And, and I think because we have to be in this place of discomfort, to do anything, he has to allow it to get real uncomfortable, especially for Americans. I mean, if we look, we were talking to Doug Krieger the other night. Nigeria, you have a 72-hour life expectancy as a Christian. Here, I mean, you can live your entire 80, 90 years and no one cares. You know what I mean? As long as you wear a mask, apparently now. But, you know, think about that. Think about what it, you ask anybody here, they're like, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. And now you're seeing them die from fear, you know, but you have these people in Nigeria, they say they're a Christian and they know they're going to get killed. Their children are going to be raped and murdered. You know what I mean? And all this crap. And they're completely fine with telling everyone, you know, I'm a Christian and they have 72 hours left in their life. I mean, that would eliminate a ton of people in America, you know, not to mention you have Christians out there that seem to think that God has, chosen america to do great things and that we're still under the blessing i don't know that we are man i think at some point this will lift because just like we saw samson he cut his hair it said god had left him right at what point do we recognize that god has left us and you know even you you, you have these people that are saying like abortion is going to be outlawed we, we saw trump talking about it and we're like hey that's awesome it's been three years hasn't happened plus you find out that in the vaccines they're pushing now, you use fetal cells. You think they're going to do away with abortion? I don't think so. You also talk to the people that know about the seed war and the, the guys in the dark call, and they talk about how these giant beings that uh, the dark entities are held by thumb cuffs, and as long as you feed them blood, they don't break loose and kill everyone. Well, imagine if we don't have war in a time of peace and we don't have abortions. Whose blood are they getting? And we know that's true. They require blood. I mean, it, it says it in the scripture. They're thirsty for blood and they're never, you know, and they're never satisfied. Their hearts are evil continually. What happens when you don't feed the beast? It rises up, you know? I mean, and uh, just so you guys know, the seven heads and ten hordes, that's 17. It may be that Q is some kind of sign. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
I still like the Revelation seventeen seventeen fine. Yeah, I mean that's another one too. They have to- <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. I mean, I saw that show. I was like, oh, that's good. that's pretty interesting. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, who knows? We can spend all day talking about what it might mean, but what is the overall, you know, thought behind it? Like, what is this meant to make me think about? You know, and I think it's check everything, get your house in order, make sure you have the right priorities, and take advantage of the crisis. Don't let a good crisis go to waste to share that hope that you have within you. Right. I mean, I, you'd be, it's amazing, dude. It really is. When someone's like, Hey, this is crazy. Ain't it? And you're like, yeah, it is crazy. And then tell them a scripture verse, you know, I mean, it's super easy, dude. You're not even weird at this point because they think <laughs> in the world, you know what I mean? It's like, but somehow it, you know, some of us are feeling like this means go get an RV, go deep into the woods and build a fire and and like don't talk for the rest of your life so that no one can find you. Yeah, I don't know, man. You know what I you know what I've and and you know, I've seen this with uh with Robin Zinn and 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 myself and and Ian. What I've been seeing is really cool is the way the Holy Spirit's been moving. It you know, God even says there's nothing new underneath the sun, right? But what I see is people who are put in our positions, who are being called to do what we do, are being apostles. Like they're coming together and going out. Like I've, I've seen Rob, he's teaming up with Zen Garcia. You've got um, David Arthur with um, Vicky. Uh, Vicky on Dry Bones. And we're seeing all of these people that normally did their own thing. Now we're like, becoming like the apostles going out like Paul, you know, Paul and Luke and, you know, going out and, and, and teaching stuff together. And then they're coming back and then they're counseling with each other and they're talking and they're, I mean, it's great. What I see though, is just like in the first century church, there were communes. Now, right now we live in a digital world and we're doing this right now where we're coming together. They used to worship every single day of the week. They didn't just have church on Saturday or Sunday or Monday. They did it all throughout the week and they took care of each other spiritually. And if they needed stuff, and I feel like we have communities that are like that, but in the greater scheme of things, and this is one of the things I I know a lot of people, Paul's been getting thrown around here a lot lately. Paul was a why people don't understand on one camp or the other, or they abuse it is because they don't understand where Paul was. Paul was a bridge builder. He was he was he was trying to cross the two streams together. That was that was the Gentile camp and and the Hebrew camp, and he was trying to work in both of those groups at the same time. That's why it was difficult to understand Paul. And I feel like I mean I think listening to some of the stuff Rob said is he feels like we're you know he's in the same position just like we do, where we we're, as as a functioning body we don't need to have one hand doing one thing and the other hand doing another thing. And like in times like this, I feel like we need to be together and unified, like set some of the petty stuff apart and try to function as a body together. You know, I'll, I'll like I'll, Rob, Rob was really, uh, you know, articulate when he, when he said what he was saying about this, this topic. So I'll let him go ahead. Well, I don't remember exactly what you're, referring to but did you see the video that parable of vineyard did called uh i think it was like the master's toolbox or something like that did carpenter's that? box or something yeah, yeah like carpenter's, carpenter's tools yeah or carpenter's house or something like that it's like seven minutes or five minutes or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think i don't know if he came up with it or if he was just reading it or whatever but it was really 
what you're talking about. I mean, it was, it was basically, you know, the, the, the hammers complaining about, you know, the pen, yeah. you know, and, and the pen's like, well, you know, at least I'm not like the saw. I mean, look at that. This is always cutting things into pieces and cut, you know, and, and you know, well, what about the drill? And like all the tools were, were pointing at the other ones saying, you know, look at them, look at them. They're not doing this or they're not doing that or they're blah, blah, blah. And, and then the carpenter finally comes in and he's like, you know, I'm so thankful for the pen because it helps me to draw out what I'm doing. And I'm so thankful for the saw because it enables me. To, and, he, and he's saying how he's thankful for each. And it's another way of illustrating the, how the body works, right? You know, the hand shoots yeah. the foot. I have no need of you. And, you know, like, 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 look, Justin Best put out a video a couple of days ago, 50 Reasons to Question Paul or whatever. And, you know, first of all, uh, I disagree with that. Uh uh, you know, I spent five years defending Paul in the virtual house church and I've written, I don't even know how many Facebook posts and blogs on it and, and done shows on it and have uh, blogs on Ephraim awakening about it. So I definitely don't agree with him. However, I applaud him for at least questioning. He, look, the Bereans did the same thing. Mm -hmm. They were searching the scriptures daily to see whether these things be true. And Paul was confident in that. He's like, look, search it out, man don't believe me, go look it up, you know, and some did and, and believed him and some did and didn't believe him. You know, right now uh, it looks like Justin's not believing him. Um, I believe him, but I don't see believing in Paul as a prerequisite for brotherhood in Christ or friendship or even salvation. <laughs> right. Well, this was, we saw this yeah. in the first century church. There were a lot of people who knew Paul as a Pharisee and they just right. didn't want anything to do with him. They didn't change the fact that he still wrote their cities and, and, and their churches letters and they read them. I mean, you have, um, a, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name now. Paul, Apollocarthy. He was, he was an understudy of, uh, Polycarp. A Polycarp. That's what I meant. Yeah. Polycarp. He was Paul an understudy. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was understanding, uh, understudy of, of John and he, he quoted, uh, like I think 14 times uh, the works of, of, uh, of Paul. So, I mean, and that was, that was like our earliest that we have like records, mm -hmm. you know, like historical records of somebody using, and he used all of the, the apostles and Paul's writings. So, you know, there, there is a lot of information that that's out there. I don't want to see people, you know, causing division over that kind of thing, because this is nothing new. People, people knew Paul as, as a Pharisee and they didn't listen to him. They stuck with, they said, Hey, I'm, I'm of, you know, uh, Apollos or I'm of John or, you know, and, and they didn't stick with Paul. And, but Paul tried to work around that a lot where he would, he would go like when he would collect tithe and take it to the, to Jerusalem, he would take one person from each one of those cities and say, hey, they can go with me because I'm not going to run off with your money. I know you guys don't trust me. And he would just go out of his way to try to to do the best that he could so he didn't cause stumbling blocks for anybody else. So we shouldn't let this cause a stumbling block for us or for other brothers and sisters. So, I mean, I've really felt convicted about that because, you know, when you read that kind of thing, we've seen that, that, that whole, you know, people following down a certain path and, and then they just kind of go off the rabbit trail, but you don't let the Holy spirit deal with it. You know, well, yeah, you pray for that person. That's the ultimate thing right there. And I, and I got to be careful on this too, because I get very zealous about the things that I believe in. <laughs> and look, I want, you know, because I strongly believe it, obviously I want other people to believe it. And if you don't believe it, I'm going to try to convince you to believe it. You know, so I get that, you know, um, but at least in my recollection, I don't remember ever writing anybody off as a heretic or like just going crazy on them. And that's what I see too much of these days is anytime anybody goes down any path, pick a topic. It is like, 
any topic you can imagine. Like flat earth. Well, that's a big one. You know, flat earth <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Yeah. Flat earth, preacher, rapture, you know, dispensation, Paul, pick a topic, you know, calendar, whatever. It's like, look, it's what I say when I do a conference. It's like, do we believe, believe, believe that Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him? Yes or no? Yes? Great. Do you believe salvation is by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast? Do you agree with that? Yeah, great. Okay. Why can't we talk about the other stuff? Because everything else, when it gets down to eternity, like that's what's important. We got to get that part right. That's what I call a core essential. Yeah. If you get that wrong, eternity is a long time to be wrong. Okay? So we got to get that right. If we've got that right, What's the harm in questioning other things going down this path uh, of research? And, you know, Justin raises a lot of very interesting, compelling and, you know, uh, frankly, points that should be considered. You know, um, I'm not going to do it. I've spent I've already fought that battle. You know? <laughs> you know, I spent years fighting this battle. The stuff I'm just repeating myself now. So, but to the audience out there that wants to, to get their pitchforks and go after Justin right now, I'm like, look. Listen to what he has to say. Take notes. And if you disagree with him, write a blog, do a video point by point, you know, and don't just go crazy. Say, well, Justin, I don't believe this is what you said is true because this, that, and the other thing, you know, give a rebuttal, you know, but that's not what happens these days is people just go completely psycho. And, you know, I was thinking about this today too, is like the, the scripture says that in the last days, the love of many will wax cold, but boy, we're there. For sure. For sure. There's you know, no grace, no grace for each other. No, Man, you and know, we're, we're all one body. Yeah, and, and we are in the master's tools box. You know, and if if God, like, look, man, the last thing I wanted to do was look in the flat freaking earth. Okay, I promise you, that was the last thing I would have ever imagined I would ever spend any one second looking into. And when He called me to do that, I went kicking and screaming, man. And if you could go back and watch the videos from 2000 for a year, over a year, a year and several months, I was calling myself a zetetic agnostic saying, look, yeah. I'm not a flat earther. And I'm not, not a flat earther. I'm just looking at it right now, you know, because I was aware that I had a pretty large audience and you know, I didn't want, I didn't want to be deceived and I didn't want to, to lead anybody else into deception. So I was very conscious of what I was putting out publicly and what I was going to finally, you know, commit to. And after I did the Lake Michigan thing with, with Rick Hummer, I came back like in, and father, like in no uncertain terms, he laid, he drew a line in the sand and said, okay, you're going to believe me now, Rob, or what? And it, it was the, or what that really scared, scared me. You know, I was like, okay, father, your word says it. I've been telling people your word says it. I believe your word says it. And I believe your word is true. So I'm, even though I, even to this day now, I still have questions, but I know what the Bible says. So I'm going to take a stand on it. You know, and, and people are like, oh, this is a distraction. This is a waste of time. You know what? I've got thousands of testimonies. Okay. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that to brag. This is not about Rob. Okay. I'm just saying that to put, put my finger in your face and say it's not a waste of time. Right. Okay. It's not a distraction because if one person spends eternity in heaven because of this topic, it's worth it. I've got thousands of people telling me that they either have a renewed relationship with God and a better understanding of scripture, or they were atheists. So many letters from atheists and agnostics saying, I'm not an atheist anymore. You know, it, it was when I had thought I had enough, man, I'm like, I can't take it anymore. I quit. I put the Phil Collins song. I don't care anymore. And everybody, <laughs> I remember that. it was an atheist that wrote to me and said, he's no longer an atheist. And he said, how dare you, man? Do you believe what you're saying or not? How dare you? You know, I'm a life that's changed because of that. You put that back up. 
You know, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I'm reading this letter and he concludes the letter by saying, you know, I, I'm going to say something I've never said before to anybody in my life. May God grant you the courage and the strength to continue on the path that he's called you on, you know, or something to that effect. Yeah. And I mean, it struck me to the core. And so I know with countless confirmations that that it was God Almighty, Yahuwah, that put me on that task, that, that I was on a trajectory doing something else, very busy doing something else. And he said, okay, stop, do this for four years, four years, every day, four years, you know, and there are other people out there who, whatever that topic is for them, that's what God has called them to do. You know, and, and there's a purpose for it. If they're, you know, we're to know them by their fruit. And that's what I live my life by is like, okay, where's the fruit? When I look at most of the people that are pointing fingers and being critical of everybody, where's your fruit? Yeah. You know, when you've got even a tenth of what I've got in my basket, I might listen to you. Maybe. Okay. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying this is where the fruit is producing. What you're saying is not producing fruit. It's producing strife. You know, it's causing right. problems. And so when I when I when I see somebody else going down a path looking at something, I may question it and say, Well, why are they doing that? But if God has called them to do that, who am I yeah. to say, Hey, the master's got the drill in his hand and he's drilling a hole over there for a reason? You know, I'm gonna be the saw and do my job over here. You know, and, and I think that's what we need to realize is is like even in the issue of Paul in his day, uh what was it the high priest, I think it was at the time or, you know, somebody in the council or whatever, he said, hey, guys, listen, you know, if this is not of God, then it's going to fall away by itself. Right. But if it is of God, then we risk being at war with him <laughs> by opposing this thing. Yeah, right. Well, That's like, advice right there. Yeah, and here, so this is Romans 14, 4. This is ESV version. Uh, Who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or fails. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Like, you know, I, I, I get that people want to correct and they want, everybody wants people on their team. But like, you know, it's just like that story in the scripture where the apostles are like, hey, there's a bunch of dudes out here doing stuff in your name, Jesus, but they're not from us. Right. And he says, yeah, leave them alone. Like, you know, okay, leave them alone. Um, you know what I mean? Obviously, they're doing stuff. You know what I mean? And and the thing is, like, people used to tell me all the time, I smoked for 20 years. They'd be like, you shouldn't smoke cigarettes. That's a vice. You know, God's going to, you know, God, that's an open door for the, you know, all that stuff, right? But I had conviction. I knew I could quit, but I, it was it was a vice, and it held me. But also, I knew that I was talking to people at the smoke shack and the smoke booth outside, and I'd be you know, having good Christian you know, deep conversations about the scriptures and faith and things like that, that I would have never had if I didn't smoke because I wouldn't have been there, you know? So God can use you wherever you're at. And I, yeah, obviously smoking was bad and I quit, you know, I was convicted and it got cleaned up for me, but there are those up there that smoke now that aren't convicted yet, or you know what I mean? They may never stop, but it's like, that's not my thing. I, this is a personal relationship. I'm, I'm to do what I'm supposed to do, right. And work with everybody else as they do their thing. But I don't pass judgment. And, and, you know, I feel like we have grace for people in the world a lot more than we have for other people. We'll be like, oh, this sure. guy, you know, he's a murdering, you know, savage. And he's out there looking for things to steal because he's a drug, you know, all that stuff. But we're like, hey, 
maybe we should, I feel like the Lord's telling us to let him live with us. And you're like, oh, that's a bad idea, you know? But then you got one guy that's like a Christian guy. You go to church with the guy, and he's got a bad view on something, and you just don't return his phone calls. You, you know, shaft him. Um, you start talking smack about him online, you know? And it's like, what? It, it's just crazy, man. It really is nuts, and I feel like we just need to shut up about it and and either do it the right way or which is probably you can't do it the right way half the time because like I'm passionate about what I believe Rob you're passionate about what you believe and when we believe something we're 100% going after it and you're not going to you know you might make me question some things and I'll go looking but I'm always going to look to try to prove myself right you know what I mean because I'm I'm passionate about what I believe now if I change my beliefs I'll be passionate about that then too but you need people that are passionate about what they believe or nothing ever happens mm-hmm. you know so it's a it's good that he's testing things and who knows he'll maybe he'll uncover something on a deeper level that none of us could ever get to because we didn't think of it that way right we didn't question it that particular part someone has to like uh uh, kind of a a passionate hot button for me especially back in like from 2003 to 2005 was the the issue of the gifts of the spirit and specifically the gift of healing because i was seeing all through the scriptures like we're supposed to still be doing this like you know john 14 12 anyone not just peter james and john anyone who believes in me will do the same works i've done and even greater works because i'm going to be with the father yeshua said that now we can debate the greater works what are those? I don't know. Let's get the first part right. Do the same work he's done. Oh, does that mean we're supposed to walk on water and turn water into wine? Look, I didn't write it. That's what he said. Like We're supposed to do the same thing he did. You know, so I was trying to like walk in that and understand it. And I was blessed to go to uh, go on the missionary journey of Paul on a sailing ship. So I went where Paul went the way he went through the Greek Isles. Incredible trip. Absolutely amazing. Second day of the trip, it was this, uh, it was a, like a 200 passenger sailboat. Second day of the trip, we go to, uh, I think it was Mykonos and the, the, the tour guide, the people on the, the on the ship, uh, were saying, Hey, and I know you guys are a Christian group. Just so you know, this part of the Island over here, th- that that's like nude beach territory over there. So like, if you don't want to be exposed to that, don't go there, <laughs> you know, go over to this side of the Island. You know, it's, it's more, you know, family friendly, if you might say. So, you know, I was a single guy at the time and I, I know my weaknesses. I'm going, yeah, I'm not going, I better not go over there. So I'm going to go over to this other part of the island that he told me about. So I go over there and I get on this like banana boat thing, you know, being pulled behind by a, a speedboat. And there's like six of us on the thing and we're going really fast, took a bad corner and I just shredded my knee. Like my knee got totally jacked up. And like, I, I got pulled back to the shore and I'm in so much pain, like, ah, you know, and, and, and then, uh, the next day we were going to Ephesus. Well, now for a year prior, I'm trying to understand the gifts of the spirit and specifically the gift of healing. Next day I'm going to Ephesus and it was, it was Pentecost. The day that we we're going to go there was actually the day of Pentecost. So I'm going, and now every time we went to where Paul went, I'm reading in the scriptures what he did before he went there, before I went there. It's like, what did Paul do in Corinth? What did Paul do here? What did Paul do? So I, I read the book of Acts in different places, what he did before I went there. So I had that context in my head. So when I read about Ephesus, it says that Paul did m- many mighty and unusual miracles in Ephesus. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, 
this is amazing. Like I, I busted my knees so I could get healed in Ephesus on Pentecost, no less. Right. So I told everybody on the ship, I'm like, nope, I'm not going to the doctor. And my knees like a, like a watermelon. Right. I'm like, no, I, I didn't even bring crutches. That's I was, I'm walking in faith. Right. I'm going to, Ephesus. I'm, I'm going to get my knee, my knees getting healed on Pentecost in Ephesus, man. So like, I told everybody, oh, that's, I told everybody on the ship. Well, after a day of hiking through Ephesus without crutches on a busted knee, and it didn't get healed. Yeah, I went through a bit of a crisis of faith for quite some time. I'm like, God, you know, I should have just went to the nude beach. What the heck, man? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. I get busted up. I try to believe for healing. You know, I was, I was mad at God, you know. Um, and But what happened was uh, for a year, because I, I was determined. I'm like, I got to understand this. I believe the healing's real. I don't want to go to the doctor. I'm telling him, I'm like, look, you're the great physician. I don't want to go to the doctor. You're just going to do stuff I don't want. You know, pump me with steroids or whatever. I don't want that. I want you to heal me. And so I would do things like, uh, well, okay, Father, today's the day. I'm going to walk out on faith. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to run two miles on the treadmill. <laughs> so <laughs> I go to the gym. I run <laughs> about a mile till I collapse in pain. I'm like, why aren't you healing me? You know, like, I'm trusting you. And enough that's work. I'm this is like a whole year of this, right? But in that season, I went deeper into the scriptures than I ever would have if I got healed in Ephesus, right? Yeah. And deeper and deeper and deeper. So, I mean, he, I do believe that he allows us to, to walk things out like that sometimes. Yeah. And that was a painful year for me, but I went through a lot of scripture and went deeper than I ever would have otherwise. And then I went to a messianic Jewish chiropractor <laughs> and I'm like, dude, like I, I went to the doctor. They, they did a steroid injection shot, worked for about a month and then it, came back and I was like, I'm not gonna keep doing this. Right. So I said, can you help me doc? So he, he pulls my leg. He's like, well, I mean, it, it feels stable. I'm like, yeah, but it hurts man, like crazy. And he's like, where does it hurt? And I showed it was on the inside of my knee. And so he's like, well, let's pray. So he prays and he puts his hand on my knee. And I, it was like the Holy spirit said, no, that's not it. Cause he, he's, he's praying and he goes like that. And then he, he just moved his hand up like six inches on my thigh, pushed on it for three seconds, instantaneously healed good as new been fine ever since you know it's like so i got the healing it took like a year and a half for me to get it it was instant instantaneous a year and a half year later but i had to walk that out in order i believe for him to show me things in the scriptures that i never would have found otherwise yeah well and i i, I see that a lot of times with you know people that sometimes get sidetracked on stuff you know that that may get lost over into some people you know whether it be by you know, temptation or, or whatever, whatever they're delving in. Cause I've seen a lot of this with the truth or community where you start thinking that everything is a deception. And so it kind of opens the door that now everything and everyone is lying to you about everything. And, and you, you, you kind of fall down that, that path. I've, I've actually seen people fall out of being biblical believers because they followed that, that truth and said, you know, somebody told them that, Jesus's name wasn't really Jesus or something. And then they just went, well, I'm done with the whole Bible. It was all a lie, you know? So, but, but that, that may be temporal for people. We, we really don't have the omnipotence to judge a person's entire walk by a snapshot of their life. I think I've said that many times before. So when we have a brother or something like that, that may be going down a pathway that may be dangerous instead of just lambasting them, you know, whatever, let's try to try to talk to them, you know, try to, try to, 
you know, like like Rob said, let's do a do a video, you know, maybe do a debate. You know, I, I don't I don't know the best whatever the Holy Spirit tells you not to do, not yourself, because we all want to be right all the time. And I'll tell you, I've had to learn a lot of experiences myself on things that I went down and, and was adamant about. No, this is the truth. And then somebody came out and I was open enough that they corrected me. And it's that humbling nature that when you come back. You know, that's where God has to put you sometimes. Sometimes you have to go chase a rabbit hole like that just so so you can humble yourself and come back and say, all right, I was wrong. You know, mm -hmm. I totally I totally missed the mark on that one. You know, I was I was way off. I'm sorry. You know, because well, we need like, to be humbled sometimes. Uh, Ken Hoven, uh, you know, he's somebody who had a profound influence on my life growing up. Huge influence on my life. Uh, you know, he gets released from prison right about the time Flat Earth break. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, everybody's hounding him about it. He's like, this is crazy. This is the same reaction all of us had. Leave me alone. This stupid, crazy, whatever. Um, uh, but then he started going on the attack, right? And he started attacking me specifically. And then all of a sudden, I think in both camps, his camp and mine, people were trying to pressure us to debate each other. And it's like, I just never had a, a, a calmness in my spirit to debate him. And I'm a debater. I don't mind debating. You know, um, when it came to, to finally de doing a debate, I, I challenged because of all things, Dr. Sengenis, uh, Robert Sengenis is a geocentrist, Kent's a heliocentrist. Uh, Robert's been trying to get uh, Kent to debate him forever. Kent refuses. So then Kent pairs up with Robert to come against me and Kent sends me an email saying, hey, would you come on my show? I'll host it and you debate Dr. Sengenis on my show. I'm thinking that's walking into a bee's nest. No, I'm not doing that. I said, I'll tell you what, you know, I don't have time to prepare for a debate for two people. You both want to debate me. Why don't you two debate each other and I'll take the winner, <laughs> you know? Uh, but ultimately I kept praying about it and I kept thinking, I'm not the guy to convince Kent. First of all, our personalities are too close to each other. We, we, you know, I, I'll spin up real quick. Like I'm a reflector, you know, whatever energy you send to me, I'm sending back to you, you know, tenfold, you know, in the few interactions that I did have with him, I realized, you know what, this is a powder keg waiting to explode because he's just going to send one backhanded, you know, sarcastic slap at me and I'm going to send two back at him. And this is going to escalate into this huge fight and nobody's going to, you know, it's not going to be good for anybody. So there's wisdom in, in realizing, you know what, God's going to have to convince people, you know, sometimes the debate's good. Other times you just got to let it go and say, you know what, if anybody's going to in this case for me, if anybody's going to convince Kent, it's God. It's not going to be me. You know, he's the one that taught Kent. Kent was one of several people that influenced me to take the Bible literally trust it as my source for truth. Okay. So if he still has that mentality, and he takes the time to pray the prayer that I've challenged him and anybody else to pray. He's like, okay, Father, if I'm bringing preconceived biases to the text, please remove it from me. Okay, if you pray that prayer and you go to Genesis, you're going to get to verse 6. <laughs> you're going to get slammed in the face with this hard, firm, solid structure called the firm ament Kent in your King James Bible. <laughs> you're not going to get around it, you know. Uh, so, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, Kent and I went back and forth for a while, but I finally just said, father, you're going to have to convince him. It's not my job. Yeah. So, so yeah. So the only thing that I, I really had concern really about that whole topic, and I saw some other people like bringing it up was the amount of, you know, followers 
that somebody that has that kind of influence can have. And I was in the chat when that was, when that was airing and, and, and even after the fact of like, you know, uh, they were agreeing with a lot of things that, that, that can, can lead you down some bad pathways. And that's why I really think we need to pray, you know, especially for just what we said when we were in the church, pray for the leaders of the church, pray for the people who, you know, like us or Rob or anybody who's been on this show, you know, be praying for these people, you know, because we're held accountable for any soul that we're, we're led astray. You know, if we, if we get something wrong or we, we start following after our flesh and we start leading people astray, I saw this all throughout the eighties with a lot of evangelical, you know, uh, pastors who were, you know, on TV, you know, getting people's money and stuff like that. And they dropped after one scandal after another. And I saw a lot of people lose their faith because of that. So, you know, if we really care and we really care about the people who are following, you know, somebody who may be off on some kind of, you know, tangent or wherever they're going, you know, let's pray for them. Like that should be our, our number one concern. I agree. I was going to say the, the, the one thing that those people that are wayward like that, it reminds me of, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. There was a character called uh, Ply or Pliable, I think it was, was. Yeah, Pliable. And he would just follow along whoever was, you know, at the time until he got to actual some tribulation. And he was like, hey, you know what? I'm going back to the city. You know, I don't, I don't want anything of this to do with this Christian stuff. So there are some of those people that are going to bounce from one camp to the other that are going to do whatever. I mean, you know, God knows their heart. Let God deal with them. You know, let's pray for those people. Let's, let's pray for the people that are following, you know, off into different, you know, heretical or whatever things I know we've all run across somebody. So, but I think Justin, Justin really spent a, a year. I, I listened to his entire thing. He did spend a lot of time going over. I don't agree. I, I mean, I, I could have refuted 90% of what he said um, just by reading this stuff in context. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I read through a lot of those chats and there were a lot of people who corrected, you know, his thought process. If he gets the time to, to go over that and he cares, then hopefully we'll, you know, we'll see a change or, you know, but me personally, I, I have some weird, you know, off the wall kind of stuff that I believe in, but I'm not going to put it out there until I believe the whole, you know, the Holy Spirit has taught me, told me to do so because I don't want to, I don't want to lead anybody astray. I don't want, you know, I can believe weird stuff. I still believe Jesus is the Messiah and I, you know, I believe, you know, flat <laughs> earth and, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, um, I was thinking about this. So I, I saw this, um, well, Ren, you're still in the chat. She sent me like a couple years ago. She sent me a message, and it was a Paul Washer uh, sermon. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he's reformed. Um, you know, he's one of the guys. Jared, he, he's in the uh, uh, was that Jared Cressman watches this. It's Reformed Preachers Channel. I can't remember what the name of it's called, but it's like R.C. Sproles and those guys. Um, but anyways, it was called "When God Breaks You for Ministry." Right. And it was so powerful, man, because he, he starts off with saying you can trust God. Like and he really is emphasizing that point that when God calls you to do something. Why do we even care what anybody else says or thinks? And why do we try to go out and, you know, get approval for these things and, and get, you know what I mean? Say if God calls you and he's behind you. Yeah. Ligonier ministries. If God calls you and he's behind you, then you will, you will succeed. And if you, and if you fall, it's because he wanted you to fall, you know, like 
I, I know some people are thinking like he has 50,000 subscribers on his channel. Uh, and, and you know, that's like, he's ruining that. Well, guess, you, you know, maybe God is humbling. You know what I mean? We don't know what God's doing, but maybe God's point isn't, he doesn't care how many followers you have, you know? And maybe, you know, we don't know what the reason is, but I think that's important for all of us to think. And I used, I had a, a pastor once that said, he started off a, a sermon once with, it was very, um, like a solemn moment where he was just really quiet and awkward. And he said, guys, you need to pray for me. I'm really struggling with some things. And he said, he was like on the verge of tears. And he's like, I'm one bad decision away from ruining my entire life. And everyone's just sitting there waiting for him to tell us the secret sin, you know? And he says, this is what every one of you should be praying every single day because you're all one bad decision away from ruining your entire life. And being someone that has come through a devastating divorce, I know how that looks and feels. In one second, your life is over as you know it, and you have to rebuild, and it's a long process. And it takes a lot out of you, and you learn so much about yourself. But you literally, just like what's happening to the world right now, it's who could have imagined three weeks ago that this crap would be happening, you know, on the level that it would, you know, we all knew the economy is going to crash. Eventually we know that the beast is rising. We know all this stuff, but then when it starts to happen and you start to realize my life is not going to be the same tomorrow. And it's a real thing. Now you're, now you're facing this. Where's my foundation in all this? And how far down does God have to crush your walls? You know, before something solid is holding up the rubble, you know, I mean, and that's what I believe that's what the reset's all about. You know, a lot of us built houses on, you know, not a solid foundation. Um, and we've yeah. been putting our resources into things that are not where we should be putting our resources. We're not building his kingdom. We're building our own. And he had to knock it down and be like, now start using the gifts that I've given you to build my kingdom. Right. I mean, that's what I think is going on. <laughs> well, I, I see one common underlying thread about all the things that we've kind of encompassed and talk about, and it's not trusting God enough. I mean, when, when we have a brother that's going a certain direction, we don't trust the Holy Spirit enough to correct him, so we've got to do it. You know, when we've got we've got viruses and, and all kinds of stuff and this cue and the plan and stuff like that, and we're freaking out trying to figure it out, it's because we don't trust God enough to, to say, hey, God, you've got this under control. I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm going to keep doing what you asked me to do. I'm not going to go out and buy, you know, 16 carts of toilet paper because you didn't tell me. I mean, look at all the people that did that. How did they really need that much toilet paper? Like, was there ever like a really a toilet, like non-artificially shorted, you know, toilet paper shortage? I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest here with a lot of these things that we deal with is because we don't trust God enough and we want to do it in place of him. Like, well, maybe God's dealing with this over here. So, you know, he can't supply me with enough toilet paper. He says he'll take care of the birds and he'll clothe the flowers, but he didn't say anything about toilet paper. I mean, is that what's really <laughs> going on here? Like uh, it's all about trusting God. And that that's what this all, all of these subjects, all of these things boil down to. God doesn't need us to control the situation. He's already got it under control. And I think that's what I'm really trying to push everybody to understand is there is a plan. There was a plan from the foundation of this earth. There was a plan that before we even sinned, God knew he was going to have to send a son. Like mm -hmm. 
before you were even born, your great grandparents were even born. He knew where you're going to be at right now and that you were going to need help. I mean, that's, that's all I can say is like all of these things, we got to trust God and we need to go to God through the, through the court system. And we need to present our case to the father, like, and say, look, I trust you, God, like, let you, you take it. I mean, how many times to say that to, to take our, our sins, our burdens, our fears, our cast those on onto God, because he knows a lot better how to do things than we do, you know, but that's, that's the nature of man is, well, okay, God can have this and this, but I'm going to hold on to this because I don't think God can do it well enough. Right. And so that's what we really need to look at when we're talking about all of these situations and I'll let you guys go. No, I agree with you completely. (laughs) Not much to add to that. (laughs) You know, I mean, I think, you know, many of us, especially men, if we, if we're married, we have a family, you know, we're hardwired by God to be providers, you know, protectors to take care of our family. So there's the, the human flesh side of it where you're thinking, okay, you know, you, you, you go to, I, the, you default to the four G's God, gold, guns, and groceries. You know, <laughs> I get the four G's in line here, you know, uh, make sure everything's you know, stockpiled. Um, and you know, many times I've had that because I was a boy scout, you know, be prepared, right. I was an army guy. I'd be, be all you could be, you know, be prepared, have things ready, you know, have a plan, you know, I'm hardwired that way, but there've been many times throughout the years where like, I just didn't have the financial means to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, all right, father, you know, I'm either dead or you're going to have to provide, <laughs> you know? Uh, and what do you know? He's always provided. So I guess my time's not up yet. You know? <laughs> you get used to him providing at the last minute because oh, I, he's, he's 11, 59, 59 seconds. Oh, man. And it's not, <laughs> I mean, it's been that way for me for like eight years that I've been many, recognizing it. And like, I just wanted to get easier, man. You know, <laughs> I know he's going to do it, but like that, you know, like the last week, you're just yeah. like, oh my God. Like, you start getting that little bead of sweat. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's 11, 59, 51, 52. 53, you're like, ah, 59, bing. You know, it's always been so amazing, though, is that when he does pull through, it's through a series of circumstances that there oh, is no way you could set up. I, mean, I, I think it's amazing. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. it is. It is. You know, it, it's so crazy. It's so amazing. I mean, it becomes comical after a while. I mean, you go through enough of that, and you're like, okay, Father, well, you know, I can't wait to see what you're going to do next because it's going to be good. You know, I'll tell you, it's humbling. Uh, I, I, for sure, humbling. I mean. Yeah. To, you know, some of the ways that he provides for you is not uncomfortable or, you know, it, it, it's definitely a, for sure humble you in some ways. And that's all part. Like my wife is very, um, she's a very strong, self-sufficient woman. And when people give things like, you know, they want to gift us, things. she doesn't want to accept them because yeah. she's all about making her own way and doing her thing. Right. She was mm-hmm. emancipated when she was 16 and she survived. Right. But when she gets people that want to give to her or something, she's like, has a hard time receiving it. And like, that's the opposite from some of us. Right. For me, I'm like, awesome. God, thank you, Lord, you know, for providing this and what a blessing. She's like, no, like, I don't care. I can't accept it. That whole thing. But God's dealing with her on that. Oh, well, yeah, let me tell you, like when I first moved to Texas in 2003, I was living in a Dodge Stratus with everything I owned in it. Okay. Broke, homeless, divorced, bankrupt, <laughs> living in a Dodge Stratus, ready to put a bullet in my head. And he, 
through a series of circumstances, you know, I've found various couches to crash on people I just met or whatever. And, you know, I, met, I was invited to this Bible study and this dude finds out that I'm, you know, couch hopping and sleeping in my car and whatever. He's like, dude, I, I got a, I live in a three bedroom house with, the, you know, two other roommates. One of them just moved out. We got an extra place. Why don't you come crash with, at our place? Okay. So I go there. Then another guy that I get introduced to through the Bible study uh, hooks me up with a freelance job. Now, this job is like an hour and a half away from where this guy's apartment is. So I'm like, well, I mean, it's the only work I got, you know. So I get in the car, drive an hour and a half to this job every day. And there was, a, I think it was 91.7, if I remember right, FM station. It was all preaching, like 15-minute preachers, like different preachers every 15 minutes. So I'm getting loaded with tons of stuff, right? And say what you will about, you know, the Joel Osteens and the Joyce Myers and these people. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I don't agree with in that whole camp, but they do reach people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes back to the toolbox thing, right? Uh, so I'm listening to Joyce Meyer. It was one of the 15-minute preachers. Uh, and she's saying, if, if you're praying for God to help you, but aren't going to receive what he wants to give you, you might as well not even bother praying. You know, you're a double-minded man tossed on the sea, right? And she's quoting that scripture, you know? And so I remember, because I was the same way. I'm a very self-sufficient type of person, you know? Um, and and I was like, you know, I, at that time, I was having struggles with my faith in God, just like, because I was serving God. I was in ministry. I had just done a mission trip to, to Mexico. I had just written and directed and played Jesus in a passion play. My ex-wife played Mary, you know, in April. Uh, and then she leaves me in June for some other dude. Right, like so, like my, my whole world's blowing up, right? <clears throat> so I'm having all these questions and crisis of faith and everything, and I'm having trouble trusting God, but yet I'm praying for Him to help me because I'm living in a car, you know, and trying to get my life back together again. And so I, I remember being stuck on traffic in Highway 183, listening to Joyce Meyer say what she said, and I literally this is what I did. And now the day before that, I went to uh, I was looking around for an apartment because I'm like. You know, staying at this guy's place is great, but I got to get on my own. I need alone time with God. I just, you know, so now that I had this job, I figured maybe I can look for apartments. So I went to an apartment finder place and the place was closed, uh, but the door was still open. So I walked in and I saw a guy way in the back. I said, you closed? He goes, yeah, but yeah, come on in. And he's like, what can I do for you? And in the process of talking with this guy, basically shared a little bit of my testimony and he starts crying. Right. And I'm like, dude, what's the matter? He's like, Dude, like I'm going through the same thing you're going through. <laughs> I'm like, well, hey, listen, man, I just went through the scripture-based self-help program. These guys really put me back together, helped me with a lot of things. I could sponsor you through if you'd like. He goes, yeah, sure. I think I need that, man. That'd be great. He goes, let me see what I can do for you. So that was the day before. So I'm sitting in traffic, and I pray. I said, Father, if you actually want to bless me, I'll receive it. And I put my hands out like this, like in a posture of, of receiving one second later, my cell phone rings, and it's that dude. He goes, I, dude, I got the perfect place for you. Can we meet tomorrow? Yeah, sure. So he takes me to this place. This place is a resort. I mean, it looks like something like you'd see like at a Jamaican, like Paradise Cove, amazing resort, like just amazing. And that's, it was a little 700-square-foot apartment for $500 a month that was right next to a, uh, a really nice lodge with a, with a top-of-the-line gym in it and an infinity pool that overlooked a lake with a huge fountain in the middle of it and a volleyball court next door. I'm like, 
this place is amazing. Like I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to get this place. Like I just filed for bankruptcy two years ago and, and God's like, Hey, do you want me to bless you or not? I'm like, all right, all right, all right. So I fill out the paperwork and like a couple of days later, I get a call. Hey man, you got it. I'm like, I did. He, he, they look back two years on your record for bankruptcy. It was like two years and like three days <laughs> I filed bankruptcy. <laughs> Like it didn't go through, right? Yeah, yeah. So I got the place. So, you know, I was living in my car. So everything I had, you know, was in my car. So I dump in the living room, <laughs> the floor of my living room. And then I go to the scripture-based self-help program. That the, box is never, the box is never emptied, right? You just kept dumping stuff. Oh, you yeah, know, part of this apartment coming out of this one box and you're straight. Well, no, I, I didn't have much at all. I had very <laughs> little. And so I go to this uh, program that I had just gone through like a month earlier and I, I signed up to be a trainer now to help other people the same way that I was helped. And so I'm, I'm doing my thing. And then the leader of the organization comes in her, her name is Donna. She says, uh, Hey Rob, can I have the keys to your new apartment and your sister's here and wants to get in? I'm like, my sister lives in Idaho. What are you talking about? She doesn't even know I have an apartment. She's like, Rob, just trust me. I'm like, uh, okay. So I give her my keys to my new apartment. I have no idea what she's talking about. My sister lives in Boise. She doesn't even know I have an apartment, but somebody's calling herself. My sister wants my keys. So, okay. So I do my thing that night and then I get to my apartment after it was over. And a couple of the girls that were at the Bible study I was at found out what the deal was and they pulled the resources in their Bible study group. And I walked into a fully furnished apartment, like groceries, pots, pans, towels, like <laughs> like short of a couch, you know, in a bed, like which I got later from other people, uh, like was there. And I just remember breaking down in tears in the living room of that apartment going, okay, father, if this is what it means to be provided for by you, bring it on. Like I will receive it, you know? Uh, and I think that's our problem is too many people don't know how to receive, but you know, it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So, yeah, we like to give, but we're robbing somebody else of the blessing mm -hmm. if they're trying to give to us, you know? Yeah. yeah, for sure. I feel led to talk about this again just because of what we're talking about. But sometimes when you're praying for a blessing, you could have a legal – you could have something legally withholding it. Um, and what I was thinking about specifically is – the book that the, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with our um, courts of heaven thing that we did, but the guy, the guy is, he's given an example of he's praying for a healing for his son, but then years are going by and his son's not getting healed. And so he's frustrated and he's saying things about his son, like he's never going to do this, you know, but he's praying for healing, but he's out of his own mouth. He's saying he's never, it seems like it's never going to work or this is useless stuff like that. And then when he's praying for healing, the accuser is literally holding his own words against him as a block because he's like, he wants healing, but out of his own father's mouth comes a curse against his son. And that's a block in the healing, you know? And like this learning this for the last month has changed my life in the way that my family speaks to each other because we're, God is showing us, thank God he's, he's, it gives us a lot of time to learn stuff, you know, because uh, it's not easy to learn and change routines and things, you know, but when you start to become aware, it's like when you buy a new car and you, you know, uh, like you just bought a flex, Aaron, 
you never see the flexes till you own one. Then you see them everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Man. You know, yeah. and it's like when you when you come into this, when God shows you something, you begin to notice it in a lot of places if you're paying attention. And then it requires something of you, right? Um, and that's the hard part is we have all this truth, but a lot of us don't want to apply it to our lives, you know, and it's nice to talk about it and you get in a club with a bunch of people that know it too. And you just kind of like, Hey, remember that time we talked about this and you're like, yeah, it was awesome. And your uncle Rico in for like a long time, you know, and you're fine with that. It's, it's nice to remember and it's nice to have camaraderie and people, you know, clubs and things, but man, I, I want to be different. I want to be it. I don't want to be this guy two years from now. You know, I don't want my kids to go through the same crap that I went through. So I'm breaking those curses off of them. And then I'm going to live differently so that I'm not giving them something else in its place. You know, I feel like, you know, and I know that everyone's not in this place, but for me, it took forever for me to get here. But now that I'm here, I'm not going back. I don't want to. I wish I could go faster forward. But I understand also that this is God's timeline and I have to face the bear and the lion first before I can get to these giants. Right. And, you know, like we said, and when we were studying David, dude, this whole this whole sit rep thing for the last year has been pretty incredible. If you think about the, the episodes that we've had leading up to where we are right now, David was called and anointed to be king. And then he went back to his father's field. You know, he didn't go pick out furniture and he didn't go and like start mentoring for the position. They were just like, well, see you later. I got something to do. Like, and he was born and working someone else's dream. He wasn't even working his dream, even though he, he was anointed, man. Like when so, if someone ever told me that I was going to be king, I'd be like, them sheep can die. I don't really even care at this point. You know, they pretty much know the way home. They can get home. You know, I'm not going back out there. I'm getting me some new sandals. I'm getting me some Burks. You know, I. it's like, but that's the, that part right there where you're out grinding it out and learning and doing the, you know, being faithful with little. That's the part that gives you the character to support the dream that God has waiting for you. That was written in the book before time was made, you know? We forget that he's already made, the, he already wrote this story. You know, it's already written. Hey, I didn't know what, uh, what kind of time schedule we were on. I didn't want, I know you guys say you guys are premiering your, your, your interview on TFR tonight, correct? Yeah. I don't know what time that is. Uh, yeah, actually I was just looking to see, I think it just fired off just now. Yeah. At 11 okay. o'clock a couple of months ago. Well, I wanted to, if we can squeeze it in real quick, I had somebody that sent me some questions. I figured with, with everything that Rob has been through and everything that he's dealt with, with the different aspects of where his walk has went, I had somebody that asked some questions about some of the stuff that's going on. They sent me a message, a, a private message uh, earlier today, and I just wanted to put the questions out there. And then if everybody can answer those real quick, and then I don't know if anybody has anything else to close out, but these were some really imperative questions. Like when, when, when I got this, I went, wow, those are... Those are actually some good questions that maybe we, we can, you know, get some answers for. Um, but it said from a biblical standpoint, uh, how to, to, to decline a mandatory vaccine if that comes. So that was the first one is what we should do. If things start going on like Nazi Germany, should we run to the mountains and you know take a tent and disappear? 
And then the final one was what to do if you're married to someone who is into the world, basically, and toes the line of vaccinations and, you know, everything's fine, stay inside, quarantine. If you're a Christian and you're being called to go do something, but your spouse is still in the world and doing what the world does. So those were three three questions. I mean, if you guys can answer those, I think they would really appreciate any advice that you have. Yeah, the the uh, the spouse issue, that's a really good one. And that comes up a lot. And, and pick a topic, you know, whether it's coming off of what I now call pagan Christianity, you know, Xmas and Ishtar Day and going towards following the Feast of God instead, um, whatever. Uh, there's a good example in uh, the leader of the home group that when I started getting into Torah, his name was Kevin and his wife was Amanda. Kevin came off of the pagan stuff first. And for Amanda, like Christmas and Easter was like, a big deal like that was you know decorate the house like to the nines like ooh, this is it right and kevin had to go away on a business trip and he was just really grieved because he's like father you know i don't this stuff is wrong i don't want anything to do with any of this stuff but my wife's not on the same page you know and he tried to convince her tried to tell her and she didn't want to hear it she didn't want nothing to do with any of that right so he just went on the business trip and he just prayed father please change your heart man because i can't I can't deal with this. I mean, I want to follow in your ways, but she wants to do this. And, you know, we're not equally yoked in this regard. So please work on my wife. So he prayed for her. He did his trip, came back from the trip and he was just dreading coming home. Cause he knew it was like right after Thanksgiving, he knew he was going to walk into the big Christmas tree, the lights, the whole deal. And it was, he was going to be miserable. Instead, he walked in and saw a bunch of stuff in, in the dumpster in the back. And none of that stuff was in his house. And she was completely repentant and cried and, and said, you know, I'm so sorry. I should have listened to you a long time ago. She started to go through some stuff and get ready to put up. And the Holy Spirit just slapped her down. <laughs> and uh, she ended up going online. Well, I'm going to look into this for myself. And, you know, stumbled across, I think it was Jim Staley's uh, Truth or Tradition video and just got completely convicted and was repentant. And, you know, so I, I think when it comes to our spouses, um, you know, I, I'm very blessed and fortunate that Sheila and I are, have so far always been on the same page, you know, with, with everything. So I haven't had to deal with that, but I've had enough other people in my life that I've watched what works and what doesn't work. And what I found is we can't change them. <laughs> you know, it ain't going to work if you try to do it. Uh, you're just going to push them further away. Is just you do the best you can to walk the straight and narrow path and pray and intercede for the other and just let the Holy Spirit do his, his work. And have grace too, man. I mean, yeah. you know, don't be the guy that's like, if you put that Christmas tree up, I'm going to set yeah. it on fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. that's not, you got to remember, like, the Holy Spirit is the comforter, okay? So we have the comforter within us. We cannot be, it can't be true if it doesn't come from a place of love and, and a comforting way, right? It's not his character. So, you know, and I think, it's important to remember that too. This is the problem the secret sensitive churches have too. They're always trying to find a way to get to the people and make them want to change, right? Instead of preaching the gospel and allowing the conviction of the Holy Spirit to do their do its work. That's what it's for, right? Preaching the gospel, and that's what it does. It's sharper and it cuts in and dividing of you know. And it's he's the great physician, man. He's got those surgeons' hands, dude. And I, I know this, too, because I got into the conspiracy stuff. Then I got into the, the whole Bible stuff. Then I got into flat earth. My wife 
didn't get into none of it. So I had, I'm still kind of in the same boat as like, we're on different pages. We're not on different pages. We're both believers. We both, you know, but we're like some of the stuff that I believe she does not believe, you know, she's, I, I love her. She's going through the work just like everybody else. And I'm not burning her Christmas tree. You know what I mean? But I pray every day that it doesn't come up this year. You know what I mean? But that's how it's got to be. You can, you know, God, this is a test for you too. Whatever you're at and whatever you're dealing with, this is a test for you because, you know, the father's obviously brought you up against an obstacle that he knows a way around and he just wants you to give up. Yeah. That's all he wants. He just wants you to give up and then let him just take over. Right. Yeah. So, but so I looked at these three questions and I really tried to contemplate it. And my answer kind of goes back to what I said earlier. I mean, the especially the first two, I'm sure a lot of people have heard the like little slogan, all the best laid plans of mice and men, like where we can try to plan every aspect of something. But then like, just like with this whole thing that's happening right now, in all of my studies of eschatology, a flu virus was not the thing that I thought was going to be the catalyst. I was playing it for like Rob says, mile wide spaceships parked right. over cities, you know, or like this vaccine that was going to, you know, that was going to change your DNA into monsters or whatever. Like I was looking for all kinds of stuff. I didn't think the common flu was going to be the catalyst, but so we can plan for all kinds of stuff, but it doesn't mean that that's necessarily how it's going to work out. Um, the best thing to do is again, what I said just a little while ago is trust in God. The closer your relationship is, the louder that voice is, the clearer you're going to hear him. He says, my, my sheep know my voice. So when everything goes crazy, you're going to hear that voice and you're going to recognize it because you've been walking with him for a long time. And he's going to say, go here, do this. Don't be here. You know, I mean, just knowing God and knowing what he requires and knowing what he likes and doesn't like is, is going to get you where through most of all of these things, you know, where do we know that the vaccines are full of, you know, unclean animals, aborted fetus cells, Nephilim DNA. We don't even know what they're putting in or what they're going to be putting in. Um, oh, that's so right. I wanted to play that. Well, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I, I want to, well, I'm sorry. I didn't, no, more. you're fine. It was just all, it all, it all goes to trusting God. Uh, well, yeah. Ultimately. I mean, it, that is my, literally my nightly prayer. Like as I'm going to bed, that's what I'm praying. I'm like, father, you know, right now there's so much chaos going on and so much confusion. Give me wisdom and discernment to navigate the path ahead. Like I know in, in Rob's wisdom and experience in, you know, what I w would do, would want to do, would plan to do that may not be right. You know, um, and I'll just share a, a quick story to illustrate the point is the very first missionary trip that I went on when I became the multimedia director of East West ministries was to Cuba and the ministry specialized in what they called restricted access countries. So these were typically communist, former communist, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim countries, typically hostile places to the gospel and places where the statistics showed that less than 2% of the general population had a real understanding of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that was, that was sort of the mandate. And so my first assignment was Cuba. And we went two by two. We were paired up. We, there was like a group of, I think, 14 of us, something like that. <clears throat> and they paired us two by two. And I, of course, as the multimedia director, had all the camera equipment. And the guy that I was paired with, he had a lot of the Bibles and the, you know, tracks and stuff that we were going to use for witnessing. So uh, we go through customs in Cuba 
And right away, he gets snatched <laughs> in custom, right? And they take him away. Dudes with AK-47s, right? Taking him away. And I'm like, oh, crap, because I'm paired up with him. So who are they going to look at next, right? So sure enough, they look at me. Meanwhile, the rest of the group gets to go through, and they're all in the bus praying for us. They're like, please, you know, help Rob. And I forget the other guy's name, but, like, help the <laughs> Everyone forgot the other guy's name. Well, this is 2004, so yeah, <laughs> I've slept a few times since then. But um, so I get into this room, right? Now, I've learned through the military and other things that I've done that foreign food doesn't always agree with me. So, you know, I was one of those guys that actually liked MREs, so I would pack my own stuff. <laughs> right to eat and uh, so i had like all these ziploc bags i had like caprice and juice packs and like mixed nuts and stuff like that you know and i had that packed around my camera equipment as sort of stuffing around it but if you open my bag i mean you're going to clearly see all the camera equipment lights and stuff like that so they take me away to this room and you know the scripture says don't worry about what you're going to say in that moment you know the holy spirit will give you what you're supposed to say right so it's not always something profound and eloquent. I'll tell you that, but I'm sitting in this room and there's this, this huge Cuban dude is sitting in front of me, the big Cuban cigar. I mean, he's like a Godfather or something. Right. And these guys with machine guns are standing on either side of me and they got the bag on the table and he turns the bag around to face me. He goes, open the bag. <laughs> okay. So I'm shaking. I'm nervous. I zip the bag, you know, and he turns the bag around. He opens it up. He's looking. He goes, what's all this? What are you bringing this into my country for? Now, I'm thinking, what am I going to say to this guy, right? And he pulls up a bag of Caprice and juice packs of, like tuna fish. <laughs> He's holding that up. So I got, I went, a uh, special diet? He goes, okay, zip the bag up and let me go. Okay, so okay, nothing profound here, right? I'm like special diet. I swear, it like God made the camera equipment invisible. Like that's the only explanation for. There's no reason for them to have allowed any of that through, right? Uh, so you know, he he helped me out in that situation, and the whole trip was like that. For various things in different circumstances, always something like that, something so bizarre and something simple like special diet got me through. So, you know, when it comes to, are they going to bang on the door? Are they going to try to you know, stick a needle in me? You know, the army guy says, there ain't no freaking way, man. <laughs> you know, I'm going Frank Castle on you if you try yeah. to stick something in me. You know, uh, that's the punisher for those of you who don't uh -huh. know. Frank <laughs> um, you know, uh, that's not happening. You know, okay, right up, straight up. That ain't happening. Um, <clears throat> do I protect my family? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I don't think we're called to be pansies. You know, live by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah, I get that. But you know what? There's also, you know, Jesus said, you know, if you go get some swords. You know, uh, Peter pulled it, cut the dude's ear off. Jesus put the ear back on, said, hey, you know, <laughs> he, had another, he had another purpose. But I think the book of the first and second Maccabees, um, frankly, I consider it to be scripture. It was originally in the Bible. They took it out. Uh, if you read first and second Maccabees, there's a time to fight. Absolutely. Well, there's time for everything. There's everything. I mean, is I posted something the other day, you know, love our enemies, pray for enemies. Sure. But isn't it interesting how many times God's people had to fight? Mm -hmm. There's many times when they did. And, well, and the question came up with, well, can we fight on the Sabbath? That was the issue of the Maccabees. And, and the Romans caught on to it. They're like, hey, this is easy pickings, man. Yeah. The Jews will fight on the Sabbath, so let's just go slaughter them. And the Maccabees said, you know, if we keep this up, we're all dead, you know. 
And they prayed about it, and they said, you know what, we're going to fight. And I believe God blessed them for it. In fact, if the Maccabees didn't do what they did, nothing Yeshua did would have been possible. Yeah. I mean, everything that happened there had to happen to make the first century, what we read in the New Testament, possible. You know, so I believe that there is a time to fight and stand up and protect. Love protects. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think you even see this in, in Revelation. I mean, my personal, I know there are different views on it, but I believe that the uh, the two witnesses are not just two singular people. I believe they're the, they're called the lampstand and the candle, you know, the, the candlestick and the two olive trees because they're two groups. It's the Jewish, you know, converted Messianic Jews and the Gentile believers, all, you know, the two two olive branches, but they're in, they're in Jerusalem in the end, calling down fire. Like, I mean, it's, it's in times like de- defending Israel kind of thing. So, I mean, I don't think that we're going to be cowering and hiding. The, the reason why the people are going to want to kill us is because the, the sway, the whole mark of the beast thing is not going to be like, we're going to come to your door and kick it in and you're forced you to do it. People are going to want what it has to offer. I mean, if it's, we're, we're talking about, we live in a culture where people, you know, they're all worried about how they look, growing old, weight loss. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And if they bring out something that says, Hey, we only got to eject you once and you'll be able to monitor all of your, your, your diet, your heartbeat, your everything. If you have any health problems, um, and it can extend your life by hundred years. Plus it makes you look 20 years younger. How many people are going to jump on that? Like the first week it's out, it's not going to be until later when we become problematic because we don't fit into what their goal is for the whole new world agenda that they start coming after us. I mean, we're going to have plenty of notice. The whole thing that people say about the, they quote that I come like a thief in the night, read the next pair the next part of that, because it says, if you are a child of the light, you're going to know when this is going to happen. It's not going to sneak up on you. Only the people who are in the dark, is, is, is it going to come on? We are going to see the signs. They're going to be so blatantly obvious. You literally have to be completely ignorant to the text to not see it. Well, you yeah, know? It, it's going to be a conscious choice, and, and you're going to need to be wise to know what the decision is going to be. You know, what, what you're, going to, you're going to have to determine ahead of time. And just the fact, you know, what, forget the mark of the beast issue. The simple fact of the matter is that there's aborted fetuses, animal DNA, mercury, formaldehyde, and a whole lot of other crap in there. Is enough to tell me I'm not letting you put anything in it. Not, not, none of that's going in me. <laughs> There's a slim and, chance that you will alter your DNA. That's not happening. You know? Yeah, I mean, if, that, I, wouldn't, if like, I wouldn't drink it, you're not injecting it into me. Certainly not. <laughs> let me tell you, like, I, so if you look into DARPA and you look into what they they tried to do for the last 40 years, I mean, they try to give people cat eyes so they can see in the dark. They they make yeah. people like have luminescent skin and different things and be able to turn it on and off with frequencies and, and crazy stuff, right? They're doing it. I mean, and the one thing that came up was in that video where the lady's talking about what's actually in the vaccine, where she's talking about mice stuff. Yeah. That's clearly in scripture. Um, you know, don't eat the mice. I'm pretty sure that means don't inject your body with mice DNA. I mean, that's even worse than eating a mouse, I would think, right? Or pigs or anything yeah, else. There was all this other stuff. There's aborted fetuses, which right there, I mean, that should be enough. I mean, you shouldn't even have to go any farther down the list to just be, yeah, I'm not doing that, right? This is, you know, but the thing, they said that they'll be testing these things out on the military first, right? They've already been doing that. This is, they've already been doing it. I mean, I know, I don't know if Nathan Reynolds has talked about much of his 
testimony, but at one point when he was going through the healing process, he had black goo stuff coming out of wounds in his body. Like God was forcing this stuff out of him, you know? I mean, obviously that's not something you want to talk about because it's like real gross and you're, you're thinking like this might be made up. But, you know, we're talking about this hydrogel, the DARPA hydrogel. The black goo is real. You know what I mean? Whether it's black or blue or whatever color it is, right? The the concept is real. This is real stuff. And it's an entity of some, you know what I mean? This is not something that is going anywhere in my body. And I believe also too. So you guys are afraid that they're going to tackle you or, you know, forcibly inject you. The Lord will protect you. And that is not, if it, it's against your will, it doesn't count. You know, I believe he'll protect us. Yeah. you know, from that stuff. I also and, think, yeah. I also think the children will be protected too. Right, I don't, absolutely. I don't think you can force a, a gene changing thing. There'll probably be some stipulation that it has to be taken after you're 18 because if it manipulates your genes to make you a certain age, they can't do it to a child. They have to get past. Uh Oh, three days of darkness to take it. <laughs> oh, did I, did I, did I break <laughs> up again? Yeah. Ah, this you, internet. You <laughs> Oh, well, I, I want to say one more thing that actually I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to scram, but uh, the, the issue of like, do I need to move? Um, I think that was, was that the first question? Yeah, that was the second one. Uh, what, what should happen if everything gets crazy? Should I just yeah, run up into the mountains? Uh, yeah. I mean, trust me, uh, Sheila and I have spent many times looking at world maps thinking, where are we going to go? You know, Tonga, let's move to Tonga. Yeah. You know, let's say whatever, you know, looking for that place to go. And, you know, I was, frankly, I was getting kind of stressed out over it. And I went to a Passover uh, conference in uh, Denver and Norm Franz was the, the leader of it. And he was preaching a message. And in his message, he said, your Goshen is wherever God has you. And what he meant by that was, okay, look at what happened to Israel. First of all, Joseph was sold by his brothers, you know, into slavery that was a bad thing. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Look at what turned around in Joseph. And then he was used to be the provision, right, for nations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was put there. He had to go through his trials and come out the other side. And then, you know, he was used by God to, you know, preserve the whole family of Jacob. They came down, you know, from Israel uh, to, to Egypt. And, you know, for a while there, they, they were set up like regional governors, you know, lived like princes down there, right? Then a pharaoh arose that didn't, remember Joseph and the Israelites went into slavery, but where were they? They were in Goshen. That was set up long in advance. Goshen and Goshen became an earthbound place of safety. You know, they did experience the first three of the 10 plagues, but after that they were preserved in Goshen and where all hell was going on around them. They were in this oasis, this preservation place, but he had them there from hundreds of years prior, 215 years prior when Joseph was sold into slavery. That was all set up. So where's your Goshen? Well, for me, it's the colony, Texas. <laughs> you know, this is my Goshen. You know, mm -hmm. where's your Goshen? It's wherever you are right now is where he put you. So I'm of the mindset that, you know, it, if and when the big one happens, I could walk out the door and be wherever he wants me to be. Yeah. You know. But for now, my Goshen is here. And that was like this huge relief for me because I was like, okay, I know for a doubt he planted me here. You know, I could give the whole night for of testimonies to, to explain everything. You know, just like the ones I told earlier. I've got hundreds of them like that. Mm -hmm. He told me to be here. He put me here. He provided for me here. This is my Goshen. So I'm going to rest in that. Now, I may have to experience 
three of the 10 or however many plagues are coming out there, just like everybody else. But for the rest of it, if I'm obedient, he's going to pass, the death angel is going to pass over. You know, I, and I told Sheila, like, you know, I was like, if I was an Egyptian living in those days, if I would have saw what was going on in Goshen, and, and saw how the Israelites were preserved, you know, through the darkness, through the, all these other things. And then when it came to the death, the angel plague thing, you know, the firstborn, I'd have been like, hey, honey, I don't know what they're doing. They, they got a lamb over there killing it and they're putting blood on the door. Uh, I'm doing what they're doing. <laughs> so that's what I would have been like. Oh, whatever they're doing, I'm doing. Because I could see something clearly different about them. And I think that's what's going to have to be about us is we're going to have to be obedient. We're going to have to listen, do whatever the Father tells you to do. And then we may be that light to our neighbors, you know, who are looking at us and whatever he's calling us to do, they may be saying, Hey, you know, whatever's happening over there, I, I, we need what they have, <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know? And then at the time, you know, there was a mixed rabble that came out of Egypt in the greater Exodus. You know, they all went out together. Uh, and so, I mean, we're in a greater Exodus. And they were, they were counted as Hebrews. Those, those right. the Egyptians that came out. So we need to be obedient. We need to get on God's page, do what he says. You're doing Bible things in Bible ways, as Jim Staley would say. You guys were talking before we went on the air about Yeshua's birthday. Um, it's in the fall feast season, whether it's trumpets or tabernacles, it's not Christmas. And he's coming back on his birthday, in my opinion. I believe he was born on September 11, 3 BC, which just so happened to be, if you look it up in Stellarium, look at the stellar alignment, perfect alignment for Revelation 12, 1 through 5. Same alignment happened in Three uh, negative two in the software, 3 BC, September 11th, and that's the Feast of Trumpets. So, you know, it, whatever, he's coming back on his birthday, whether it's trumpets or tabernacles, and it's not Christmas. So let's just start simple. Let's get on his page because he's following a script. He's the main character in a divine script, and he knows his lines perfectly, and he hits his mark every time, and he hits them on the Moedim, the appointed times that we're supposed to Mikra. So, you know, that's step one, get on God's page, doing things his way. Step two, pray, pray, pray for discernment, wisdom, discernment. Help me to know what to say, you know, <laughs> special diet, whatever, <laughs> whatever it's going to be. We need to make Everybody, shirts that they sit rep special diet on it. Hey, know? man, <laughs> whatever, is, whatever. <laughs> He'll tell you what to say in that moment to get you through whatever. Or, you know, some of us may be headed for the chopping block. And you know what? As scary as that might seem for some people, I'm good with that, you know. Yeah, because those are the people the scripture says are going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Yes, the ones who are beheaded for the testimony. You know, shout out to one of my buddies, Tony Stover. You know, he's got a uh, dotted line around his neck, tattooed, and it says (laughs) cut here. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I gotta, I don't remember if it was, it might be Rick Hummer, it was either Rick Hummer or somebody else I know, uh, had the Alpha and Omega right on the back of his neck. Uh, tattooed there and I asked him about one time and he says because when I when they lay me down on the chopping block that's the last thing they're gonna see hmm. <laughs> you know is it Alpha and Omega. So I'm like hmm, interesting dude. All right. Well yeah. well Rick <clears throat> Rick you said Rick Hummer now I'm thinking about that. Um yeah you have to say say hi to him. I haven't seen him in a little while but um Ian did you did you have anything else? No, man. Rob, just tell everybody where they can find all your material, your plethora of movies. Yeah, and how they can support Seed, because I really want to see that come to fruition. And honestly, I think with everything that's happening right now, we may see, we're talking movie theaters may not be opening, so there may be a whole change to the oh. Hollywood industry anyways. You know, and, and they may be starving for material. And, and I, I just pray that, that this gets 
pushed beyond you know your 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 comprehension because I know God can do it. Absolutely. I think we all do. He can do it. Uh, yeah, I believe that. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, if you go to seedtheseries.com, seedtheseries.com is my website. And on the front page, you just scroll down. There's a whole bunch of stuff that tell you, you know, about the – this is a PDF about the document. Uh, this is a script of the pilot episode, the audio drama that Rickhammer and I did back in 2014, research behind seeds, some vlogs I did, join my email list. Scroll down, there's videos that talk about the project, uh, different parts of it, the comic book, the – fiction novel, the video games, and the TV series. Video game, by the way, I got some recent updates on that. Um, I, I've been working with a, a team of programmers um, for a while now. Uh, it's, it's been slow coming because of the funding, but uh, we're doing a virtual reality video game, and it actually starts uh, off with the days of Noah. And we came up with this cool uh, gameplay idea based on something we read. And I forget what text it was, but it's one of those, you know, ancient extra biblical texts. But it talked about that um, Noah had to bring Adam's bones on the ark. And so I thought, well, there's our MacGuffin, right? There's our quest. We got to we got to get Adam's bones, right? So and the, the, the flood started seven days after Methuselah died. So now you have a ticking clock, right? So we came up with this whole storyline where we're. Noah just finishes the ark. He calls his sons together and he says, listen, my grandfather told me as soon as the ark was finished that you needed to go see him. So, you know, go see Methuselah. So they go to Methuselah and he shows them an ancient map because he, he buried uh, uh, or Enoch buried um, Adam's bones. So the Nephilim couldn't get him. And so they had to go get, get have to go get the bones. So Shem, Ham and Japheth each have separate missions to do. Shem is uh, by land. So he has all kinds of stuff that he has to do by land, mountain climbing and all kinds of stuff. This is virtual reality now. So you actually feel like you're, you're climbing a mountain. Um, uh, Japheth is by air. So he's got this really cool like Leonardo da Vinci drawing like type thing, hang glider thing where you jump off a mountain and you're flying and you got to like dodge pterodactyls and all kinds of stuff. So he's flying and then Ham is underwater. So he, he runs and jumps off a cliff. So you, you feel like you're diving off a cliff into the water and he's got to go find some stuff underwater. So you got all kinds of stuff going on in virtual reality. Uh, just got an update from them. Things are slowly moving forward with that, but we're real excited about it and about ready to kick off a fundraiser on that. Uh, and then of course the TV series. So there's each of these have links. You can learn more about it. I actually need to update this. These are the goals and where we are uh, with them. And then the options to, if you want to see this thing happen, you know, you can sew online with PayPal or Square, mail a check. You could use crypto, or if you want a tax write-off, you can click on here and there's a way for you to donate and get a tax write-off for it. So that's how you could donate to that. Um, the website I usually point people to that is like the hub to get you to everything else is robschannel.com. Went there today and found out that it's down. It's got a memory issue on the server problem. So uh, I'm going to try to get that fixed this week. But um, I would say Seed the Series is probably going to get you to most of the stuff you'd want to check out anyway. So you could go to seedtheseries.com. Awesome, Rob. Awesome. Well, thank you. It was, it was a pleasure to have have you on and get to speak with you. And and uh, for anybody that's been in the chat that isn't familiar, that came over from Rob's stuff, don't forget to like and subscribe. Um, you know, help us get around this YouTube algorithm. And uh, was it uh, 10, 10 p.m.? Is it, what are we on Central now? Central time. What are you talking about? We're on Eastern time. Eastern time, yeah. 10 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesdays is when we do our set rep show. So uh, we, we do it live and. Have different guests in all the all, on all the time. Um, yeah, since we started with uh, the seed stuff and the nephilim, 
I'm going to play another clip to close this out. You guys, I'm just going to try to do the full screen, but this is a clip from my presentation at Take on the World this last year. It talks about the Nephilim being back, and it's a the ambassador from Syria talking about how America brought genetically modified soldiers over and released them in his country. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this? No. Well, check <laughs> this out. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I'll, I'll Let me share this real quick, and we'll go ahead and end it as soon as the video is done, but it's been a pleasure. Yep. Thanks again, guys. Love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Let's see here. Try to make this. Question. Did Syria's ambassador tell the United Nations that the United States has genetically modified super soldiers in his country? I, I want to play the video. Again, this is Syria's ambassador to the United Nations. We're only going to play the part where he's talking about genetically modified somethings in his country. Watch this. We say to Saudi Arabia today that we eliminated its terrorist tentacles in eastern Ghouta, and I mean Jaysh al-Islam gangs. Yes, we say to Qatar and Turkey that we eliminated their terrorist tentacles in eastern Ghouta, and I mean Al-Nusra Front gangs and Falak al-Rahman gangs. And I say to all those who exported to us armed, moderate, genetically modified opposition, that we eliminated these toxic exports. And we call upon those exporters to bear the consequences of their actions, as some elements who survived would return to their original countries. All right, Doc. <laughs> We, we've been doing true news a long time. <laughs> this is one of the weirdest <laughs> things I've ever reported on. Yeah. Did he say that the U.S. or some Western country exported genetically modified soldiers into his country? Yes, he referred to them as chemi chemical weapons. Toxic. Even. Toxic substances in his country. Nephilim. They're Modern Nephilim. That, that's what it would be. That's what we're dealing with. He's talking about Nephilim. The Nephilim are back. How about that? Wow, man, that's crazy. And that goes right to what I said is Nephilim are not just angel-human hybrids. They're genetically modified hybrids. Right. Right there, man. Wow. Well, we're going to have to do this again because there's so much more. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's so much more. And I'm sure that it's not going to get any uh, less freaky on the news. <laughs> you know, So I'm sure there'll be lots of things to talk oh, I'm about. I'm sure. It's not so like we're going out of things to talk about. Where so, you guys? Should, where you guys? Where should we direct everybody to? T, to TFR or is it on? Uh, yeah, there's still about an hour and a half or hour and twenty minutes left on TFR. Uh, if you go to tfr. dot uh, com forward slash live, wait a minute, what is it? Tfr live. dot com. Tfr. I'm going to jump over and listen to it. It'll be up. It'll be up, right? You said tomorrow. Yeah, 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 I'll actually post. Uh, I still need to post it on YouTube, so. Uh, I'll do that probably tomorrow, uh, but yeah. it's on it's on live right now on tfrlive.com forward slash listen live. Awesome. Again, thank you, Rob. All right, man. And have a have a blessed weekend. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. See ya.